Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over the big UFC 275 pay-per-view card straight out of Singapore. We got two title fights on the line for you guys this evening, and it's going to be the light heavyweight title on the line with Glover Teixeira trying to successfully defend his title for the first time against Yuri Prohaska, a very dynamic and powerful striker who's getting the title shot with his third fight in the UFC after devastating his first two opponents, and rightfully so. And then in the co-main event, we got the flyweight women's title on the line with the 125-pound GOAT, Valentina Shevchenko, looking to continue her streak and her reign atop the division, taking on Tyler Santos now. Very intrigued to see if this plus 400, plus 450 underdog has anything to or has what it takes to provide some resistance to Valentina and even to the point of possibly capturing the title from her as well. Now, for anybody that was watching the show last night, the Propping You Up show on the All-Star, I sincerely apologize for my internet issues. Thankfully, my co-host or replacement co-host, I should say, uh, John was able to take over and commandeer the the rest of the stream and did a very phenomenal job. I had a you know, pretty stern talk with my service provider and be like, hey, you, you guys are messing with my my work and my livelihood by messing up with my internet uh, connection. Thankfully, they were able to rectify it. Thankfully, I am here. Thankfully, it is in crystal clear uh, quality as well. So we don't have to worry about that moving forward. Secondly, something I wasn't able to do this entire week uh, especially since this this tragic news occurred, I got to give a big RIP to Sidhu Musewala. Obviously, a lot of you guys know the famous Indian rapper, uh, singer, musician, uh, was tragically gunned down about two weeks ago now in India. Um, he initially came to Canada, specifically in my town here in Brampton, as an international student and pursued his music career from there. Uh, blew up within five years, gained over 8 million Instagram uh, followers and just became one of the biggest music stars we've ever had because of his style of lyricism and his ability to mix it with, uh, you know, hip hop and trap beats. And it just absolutely took him into a, a different stratosphere compared to any other uh, Indo-Canadian artist that's ever been out there. Uh, and to, to have him you know, go like that was was very tragic, very reminiscent of uh, an artist he was very uh, inspired by, Tupac Shakur, right? That's one guy he would always talk about. And uh, having his last single be the last ride and the cover art being the shot up vehicle of Tupac Shakur was very eerie in terms of having art imitate life. And uh, yeah, it, it was very tragic. Tragic. I'm still blasting his music over the last couple of weeks. It's it's very difficult to 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 see something like that happen to somebody from my roots, essentially, that was very much you know, getting to that different level and was trying to make some change over there in India as well due to some of the, you know, backwards laws uh, back there as well. But uh, I just wanted to take a moment here to to show respect to him. Uh, yeah, if you guys, I'm sure there's a lot of you that, that listen to music sometimes and you listen to other languages, even if you don't understand them and you just like the vibe of it, I would very much suggest checking out Sidhu Musevala's uh, work. Very, very good artist uh, and just gone too soon, 28 years old. Uh, so very, very, very tragic there. So I just want to pay my respects live on the stream before we got into the show here again. RIP Sidhu Musevala. Now let's get back 
to the combat sports that you guys are here for as well. And I got a great guest. Let me let me bring the mood right back up because we got a fantastic guest here. I had him on for, I believe, UFC. It was actually earlier this year. I believe it was the Adesanya card. And we had to cut his time short because I was on a bit of a, uh, a tight schedule that day. Luckily, we got all the time in the world here and we can break down every fight as best as we can. Uh, so before I bring him in here, I do want to let you guys know he is the number one spot in the Lock of the Night Challenge high stakes game, the $500 game. He has an incredible 14 and 3 record right now. Unfortunately, missed one event, but it doesn't matter because he's still in first place. He has plus 47.55 units with a 53% ROI. Called Tony Gravely at minus 115 this past week. Had a bunch of other sharp plays. And not to mention, he's been around the MMA game for longer than you guys. I can guarantee that. This guy's been absolutely killing it. Let me bring in my friend here, Mr. Mike Constantino. Mike, how are you What's doing, up, brother? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. And I see that I got you in your in your studio area. I believe last time you were out in Atlantic City, if I'm not mistaken, in your hotel room, right? Yeah, I'm in my office today. Um, and last time, you're right, there was a New Jersey State Wrestling Tournament down Atlantic City. And I was down there for that, and I did it from a hotel room on a phone. But uh, really happy to be back. Absolutely. There, there was a great reception in terms of uh, your, your analysis that night. I think you killed it with all the bets that you actually gave out on my show that, that, that week. And we're expecting the same here. But before we get into the breaking down of it from a, from a gambler's perspective, as a fan, you know, I mean, as a guy that's been around the sport for as long as you have, what are your thoughts on this card? And is there a specific fight that sticks out to you from a fan's perspective that you're like, ooh, I, I, I don't care about the money that I got on this fight. I just can't wait to see it play out. You know what? I feel that way about a lot of fights. I mean, every weekend, um, you know, take you a little inside my head. I like to take a snapshot. You know, when I first look at a card, I try not to look at it until after an event ends. So like on Sunday as I'm leisuring and the things that I look at first, you know, keeping in mind my experience in the game that you touched on, you know, I negotiated a lot of contracts as a sports agent for fighters, as well as coaching and cornering. So I know one of the most valuable real estate spots, you know, you obviously have the main event and then the co-main event, but it's that opening fight on pay-per-view, which is gold. You know, there's no, yeah. you know, coincidence that Sugar Sean opens up the Conor McGregor pay-per-views. And, you know, and then right before that, you have the last fight, let's say the lead-in fight. So that's all prime real estate. So I like to see who the UFC initially puts in those spots. And something that jumped out at me when you're asking, what am I looking forward to, is that uh, Della Maddalena fight. Ooh. Because if I'm Dana White and Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby and all the higher powers, am I going to say, I want to put in Ameev, you know, who's got seven decisions in his last seven fights, so coming off two split decisions and a loss to Danny Roberts? Or am I saying, hey, man, I want to showcase Maddalena here, you know, who has all these knockouts. He's finished in both of his losses. You know, you got to think about the business end of it. So that jumped right out at me. So I'm excited for that fight because I want to see if my theory, you know, and one of the angles that I do look for and like plays out, you know. So we'll get to that fight. But that's what I like to do when I first look at the cards and that jumped out at me. Yeah, when I, when I was studying for Jack for his UFC debut, I was like, man, th this is fun, right? Usually when we're doing tape study, there's some fighters where you're like, ah, like, I got I to gotta slug through some of these this tape. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that are just not the most enthralling to watch on the regional scene. But Jack, man, like, you know, win, lose, or draw, or even just, uh, uh, you know, him in bad positions, he always makes it entertaining. He's always like, pretty much all offensive. We'll obviously talk about it a little bit more once we get to his fight here. But, yeah, no, I completely understand where you're coming from. Having him as a curtain jerker for the pay-per-view, not to mention, I guess, the toughest test he's going up against now, too. 
it will really be a, a big show me spot for a lot of people and even for Dana White to be like okay maybe this kid does have what it takes to maybe be our next big star from down under and he has the entertaining style to back that up as well so I'm very much looking forward to that so Mike without further ado let's just let's get into the card we did lose one earlier today uh obviously Hajirio Bonturin notoriously has issues making 125 pounds he didn't even make it to the scale this time he had to pull out poor Manel Cap having to travel to that side of the world uh to uh to fight but now he's not fighting he's sitting on the sidelines isn't going to be enjoying it as a fan thus jake matthews and andre fiavo has now been pushed up to the main card uh i believe that was the third or fourth fight on the prelims but i think they did a great job in terms of pushing that up to the main card especially with the 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 streak andre fiavo is currently on right now and it seems to be capturing a lot of people's eyes and uh, especially uh dana white as well so Starting off the prelim card here, we got a women's featherweight fight between Jocelyn Edwards and Ramona Pasquale. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus. Uh, well, it looks like the odds are not up here for some reason, but I believe we had uh, Jocelyn Edwards as a minus 170 favorite. And we currently have, there we go. My, yeah, minus 165 for Jocelyn Edwards, plus 145 the return on Ramona Pasquale. Now, originally, this fight was scheduled to be 135 pounds. From what I heard on the weigh-in show is a week or two, maybe even three weeks ago, uh, Ramona Pasquale asked for this fight to be moved up to 145 pounds. Not a good look. You know what I mean? I, how often do we ever see that happen, Mike? Like, I don't think I've ever heard that happen you know, a couple of weeks before the fight, them asking for this fight to be pushed up. Luckily for uh, Jocelyn Edwards, she gets a little extra money in the bank account here, takes a little bit of a percentage from Ramona, but this fight does go on as a 145-pound belt. Uh, interesting fight here, right? A lot of people were on the Romana Medov train last time around when she went up against uh, Josiane Nunes in her UFC debut on short notice, thinking that the wrestling was going to be enough to stop the Brazilian bruiser Josiane Nunes. But Pasquale, even when she got the takedowns, was able to do nothing with it, literally just lying on top of her opponent, trying to control that position, even with Nunes landing some shots off of her back there. Uh, Pasquale, that's kind of her game, right? She wants to drag fights to the ground and have some success success there uh, you see her going up against like very bad competition on the regional scene and that's where she's able to get some of her finishes but as she's going to start taking steps up in competition it's going to get harder and harder for her to come by those finishes here with jocelyn edwards edwards not the greatest takedown defense and we've seen that exaggerated in her last two fights here against uh, jessica rose clark and then the fight before that between uh, against carol hosa but, you know, I don't know if it's going to have that much of an issue in this fight against Pasquale. Pasquale will likely land takedowns, but I think that her inactivity from on top and mixed in with the offensive nature of Edwards off of her back is going to make it hard for Pasquale to, you know, get any points off, get much damage off. And I do think it's actually going to lead to, you know, Edwards kind of gassing out uh, Pasquale here and then eventually finding her in a submission of some sort. So the, the two spots that I've been looking at here is the... Uh, uh, the Edwards inside the distance or even the under two and a half uh, women's MMA. You know, a lot of people don't really like the, the violence bets there, but I feel like the way that these two match up here, we could get some violence. I think that Edwards is the much better striker. And I do think that once this fight hits the mat, even with her on her back, she should be able to put up some submissions and possibly catch Pasquale in something here uh, and maybe even get a late finish as well for Edwards. So rather than the under two and a half, maybe the fight doesn't go to decision just to get those extra two and a half minutes. Uh, pick is going to be Edwards, but I will likely have some money on the fight doesn't go to decision, which currently sits at plus 145, plus 150. What are your thoughts about this matchup? <laughs> 
tough couple of fights to start my uh, uh let's go <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things right so for me personally i bet and i also play dfs but i exclusively only play the DraftKings contest so i will touch on both of those today but um for dfs purposes i really don't play FanDuel, so it's hard for me to speak on it um but i i look at my money going into an event how i'm going to get it in just like a poker hand you want to get it in with the best so some fights i'll bet and some I'll just gain my exposure through, you know, my DFS lineups. So if I wanted to bet, say, $100 on this fighter, $1,000, I might enter lineups with these fighters. I don't think I'm going to arrive at a bet. I don't have a bet on this right now. But if I did, I would have to lean to the underdog here, Mempreet. And let's talk through it. And it's good that on this first fight, we offer, you know, different views. First off, the fight at 145. To me, that's a big difference. I don't know why Edwards is going up. You brought a wrinkle in that I wasn't aware of, that it was a couple weeks out. But as far as I've known about this fight, it was at 145. And I questioned initially, why is she even doing that? Now, secondarily, Pasquale fought Nunez. Now, let's say right off the bat, we could all agree that Josiane Nunez is a terror with that punch. And she's like a vicious little knockout artist. So Pasquale, who took that fight on short notice, you know, survive that. That right off the bat, I don't think Edwards has to offer on the level of power of Nunez. Maybe she's a little better technically kickboxer from the outside. But if Pasquale survived the power of Nunez, I think she'll not get knocked out by Edwards. So let's just say that. So then now if that narrows it down to the grappling, you have Pasquale who took three takedowns. She got on, on Nunez, short notice. Now she's going to be the much bigger fighter here and, and you know, wider and um, more physical, in my opinion. And she's going up against Edwards, who's, you know, she gave up five takedowns to Jesse Jess, who I love, but she's more of a Muay Thai fighter. You know, she gave up four takedowns to Carol Rosa, even one to Wu Yanan. She's been taken down in every fight. I think it's inevitable that this fight will get to the ground. Now, yes, Edwards is more active off her back. She can, you know, go for submissions off her back. But how many times did we see a fighter who doesn't succeed in that area win the fight for attempts of submissions from their back? So I think that this fight personally is going to be rinse and repeat takedowns. And then it's going to be a matter of can Pasquale control her there for large periods of time and or hunt for the finish. So if I had a bet, I would take the 140, 145 on Pasquale due to what I said, that I think she's going to get the fight to the ground and um, avoid being knocked out. And, you know, I think she'll be smart enough and square enough to not get finished. You know, she trains every day with Joanna Wood now or Calderon. You know, she's with a good camp, you know, with John Wood. She's trained now in a full fight camp for this fight. You know, I think that we're going to see a better performance out of uh, Pasquale here. So, and for DraftKings purposes, I mean, she's 7,500, 1,200 cheaper, you know, than Edwards. So I'm going to wind up with much more Pasquale than Edwards. And I'll probably play Edwards in like a GPP lineup. I love it. I I love the the dissent right off the bat here, but that's what the people want, right? They want to hear both sides of the argument here, and I feel like you presented a pretty damn good argument as well. Let's see how it plays out. With that said, though, I'm not the most keen on playing Edwards at chalk here at minus 165, right? I, I would rather her close to a pick'em line, maybe even as an underdog, especially considering what you just laid out, right? Pascal is going to land takedowns. She will likely have most of the control time here. It's just, can she stay out of danger if uh, Edwards is going to be uh, offensive off of her back? So we'll see how that plays out all right let us move on sorry before we even get on to the next one it's it's so surreal to me mike just just seeing you sit there um 
and just knowing our history in a sense, right? Like just having, seeing each other at a UFC event years and years ago, and then seeing you at another one and then you recognizing me and then us being on the show here together. It's just so surreal to me how long I've even been in the game. You know, I, I behind the scenes, it's been around 11 years now for me behind the game. I've been a fan for the uh, for MMA over 15 years now. And then just seeing us talk like this about MMA, it's just, I don't know, it's giving me goosebumps a little bit. I, I know you've been around the game for a while, but I'm, I'm truly appreciative that you're that you're on here with it. You're you're a good guy. You know what? Energy attracts like energy, and uh, that's why we're here, and that's why we met the first time. And you know, we're we're, we're trucking along. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You're a good guy. Thank you, brother. All right, let's move on to the next one. Here we got a women's uh, strawweight belt. We got Silvana Gomez Juarez going up against Nile Young. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus one thirty-five on Gomez Juarez and plus one fifteen on the Chinese fighter Nile Young. I'll let you kick this one off, Mike. What do you think about this women's strawweight belt? I already have a bet in on this fight, and I just came from the Stay Cashin show, which is a. Uh... You know, the company that I'm exclusively with for deep bets, where I get my picks and everything. And I have a special treat for our listeners at the end. Um, but I gave a pick on this fight and it gets back down initially, even to the business of it for me. I mean, some some things to me just like jump out. And one thing that I always had a hard time for is like when you train a fighter and everything's checked off and the fighter loses. And I remember my father told me once, you know, you can't get in the ring and fight for them, right? You could do everything that you can. And it sets up similarly here for me. Like on one hand, you have the dragon girl, you know, all energy all the time, exciting, but she gasses, but she gets submissions and blah, 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 blah. Now you got to fight near China for the dragon girl who comes out of the gate strong, had three takedowns in her fight, has a history of submissions, especially arm bars, almost like a little Jojua here. And you're going to put her in a fight. Now let's look at our roster and see who we're going to match her up with. Wow. Okay. Well, for the 25-year-old exciting dragon girl in the art of China, let's give her, um, you know, a 37-year-old, in my opinion, one-dimensional boxer who's 0-2 in the UFC with two first-round armbar losses. Hey, well, what the hell does that scream to you, right? Now, of course, a fight is a fight, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is a great matchup for the Dragon Girl. Come out here, get the takedown. The girl's got submitted twice in arm bars. What more can you ask for, right? We can't go in the cage and fight for her. Oh, wait, I could ask for one more thing. You're going to give me her as an underdog? Great. Okay, so plus 115. But then when you peel back the layers of the onion, you know, is Dragon Girl, who has cardio issues, going to come in here and outbox the boxer? No, probably not, right? And is she going to win a decision? Well, she has cardio problems, maybe, but less likely. So what's the most likely path to victory? A submission, right? So give me 215. So I already bet this. I took, um, I think it was on DraftKings, um, Dragon Girl here, plus 215 by submission. Now, if I lose Ooh. the bet, I lose the bet, right? Yeah. But it either means she's going to get knocked out, in my opinion, you know, uh, or maybe she wins a decision. I doubt it. But, I'll, you know, I'll have a bunch of her in DraftKings, too. You know, so I'm going to be live all over if she wins, but I just don't think you can get a better matchup than, you know, a 37 year old one dimensional fighter who lost their last two fights via armbar. If you have, you know, the intangibles, like I mentioned, you know, for Dragon Girl. So interested to hear your take, but I do have a bet on that already. Plus 215 by sub. 
I think you broke it down better than I could, man. I, I'm pretty much right there with you as well. I haven't made the bet myself, but I likely will be just taking some Leong uh, straight up there. Uh, the the submission prop seems to be down to plus 150-ish at this point in time. Not too far off from what our money line is currently at. I just I just put it in before I got on the show. There's oh, no way. I, I, I'm going to have to I'm look at that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just looking at best fight odds right now. And on DraftKings, they okay. actually don't have it listed. They only have the bet online one, and it's currently sitting at plus 140. Oh, okay. yeah, Maybe yeah. once I hop onto FanDuel Things. I'm looking at it. There we go. Yeah, that, uh, the best fight odds are all screwed up. If you notice, the I know. I know. Fightodds.io is probably the best way to go now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, it's just been the the habit for me to keep going back to best fight odds. Either way, uh, no, I, I like what you're saying here. I do have to slightly defend myself because I actually did choose Vanessa, or sorry, um, uh, Silva Gomez Juarez in her UFC debut against Lupita Godinez with no idea how good Godinez's grappling actually was because all the tape that I was running of her on the regional scene was her just boxing, her going out there and outboxing boxers as well. And I thought that Wa Gomez Juarez had a pretty good striking game from what I saw uh, on the regional scene. I thought that would translate to the UFC. And then Godinez is like, you forgot that I had wrestling? You forgot that I had grappling? I didn't know you had grappling, girl. And I'll look at what she's doing re recently. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I slightly have to defend myself for that poor take in her UFC debut. But, yeah, now I'm kind of going off of that now. Uh, Liang, as sloppy, as messy as her grappling looks, that's what you want from somebody who's very offensive-minded, right? They don't care about getting hit. They just move forward. They look for the takedown, and they get it almost immediately, just as she did in her debut against Ariane Carnalosi. Like, within the first 10 to 15 seconds, she had that fight on the ground. If she can do the same thing here against Gomez, she should be able to wrap this fight up pretty uh, pretty quickly. Now, I find the, the totals to be quite interesting here, right? The uh, under 1.5 currently sits at plus 110. The fight doesn't go to decision sits at minus 325. So like another five and a, or sorry, another seven and a half minutes, the, the odds get drastically skewed. I think a lot of people think that Leong, if she doesn't get that finish in the first round and a half, Gomez will be able to pepper her and eventually finish her later on in this fight, which is why I like to highlight the uh, Gomez via round three. That's currently sitting at plus six or sorry, uh, plus 950. Usually you see four digits for like third round finishes. So people know that Liang's cardio is definitely not the greatest. Here. So not a bad hedge there. If you guys, you know, do like the Gomez side, she's likely going to be dealing with a hellacious grappling onslaught early here. But if Liang is not able to get that submission, it's going to fall off and we'll see Gomez really take advantage of that. But just like Mike, I'm on the Leong side here. I, I usually favor the grappler more often than not, and I think that we're going to see it here. Her, again, her game might be sloppy, but she'll be able to get those submission opportunities, and I think at least one of them is going to stick within that first round. So give me Leong, Leong money line. Uh, and even what's Leong? Leong round one is plus 200. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind just taking that. Well, to, if I can Dra get... And DraftKings, it's plus 315 specifically to win by submission. Damn. Yeah, look at that. There you guys go. Draft. If you guys have access to DraftKings, that's where you got to do it. They just opened up up here in Ontario, so I'm definitely going to be taking advantage of that once I get to uh, once we get off this stream. I, I want to add one more thing here before you go. For it. Too. Yeah, go for um, it. And I thought of something for the previous fight. I don't want to revisit the previous fight. No but worries. It's also more of a uh, grappler versus striker in that Pasquale Edwards fight, and I love the yeah. fact that you're getting the bigger grappler side, you know, than the striker side too. So I think that. Pasquale being the bigger grappler is also another edge there. I just wanted to revisit that. But then on this fight, the weight cut, weight cutting is hard and it sucks as it is for everybody. But also keep in mind that uh, 
I don't know. What do you call her? Liang Na or Na Liang? What do you say? Let's go with Na. Let's go with Na. Na. (laughs) Na, Don't forget in the fight that she gassed, even though she has gassed previously on the regional promotion, which is sketchy, but she had to fly to Jacksonville, you know, for that fight. When you fly for the first time fighting the UFC Mm -hmm. and then you're flying and cutting weight, things happen, right? Now, this is a lot closer to China. She has the second fight now in the UFC. She went through that whole process. So, Manpreet, you know, and you remember when Bert was there. I mean, you get oh, yeah. off that plane on Tuesday. You're in their hands from Tuesday, you know, till Sunday. So, like, that's an experience as a whole. Like, so she went through that already. Now closer to home, that could factor into the weight cut, too. So that led me also to the bet on Nahir. And also keep in mind, if we lose, it's a min loss. It's a one yeah. year so exactly. that's the value to me is taking the 210 so i see somebody in chat wrote and you know everybody thinks it's going to be an arm bar no i mean you're betting on odds right like of course anybody can lose any fight but if i could have a min loss versus a plus 2.15 unit win for the the factors you got to bet the edges right yeah. so that's how i arrived there even if i'm wrong min loss no, I, I love I love your explanation there, and I absolutely agree. Just because we see the armbar losses doesn't mean that's the only way that she's going to win. She has a great jiu-jitsu game all around. She doesn't need your arm. She can get and grab your neck if she needs to. And she get, yeah, exactly. She can get some TKOs from on top as well. And I'm glad that you highlighted the striker versus grappler thing because I was actually counting yesterday through the entire card how many striker versus grappler matchups we have, and there's at least seven or eight on this card. So it depends yeah. on which which matchups you actually want to take the shot on. Good lead in to the next fight. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect yeah. lead into the next yeah. one here. So we'll get into that with uh, Dana Batkaril going up against Kyung Ho Kong. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 135 for, I believe his name is the Mongolian. No, that is uh, Arichi Lang. Storm. Regardless, he Storm. is Mongolian then. Storm. He's Mongolian still though. But Storm, uh, Dana Batkaril going up against Kyung Ho Kong, uh, Mr. Perfect. Uh, minus 135 for the Mongolian, plus 115 for kong in the past i've been a big kong fan man i like his grappling style it's smothering he's great in scrambles i plead with anybody who has who has not seen his fight with michinori tanaka go back and watch that fight one of the best grappling matchups you'll see in the ufc to date reversal after reversal submission attempts it was just one of the best fights i've ever seen from a grappler's perspective but as his career has gone on, it's started to get harder and harder for him to implement that. And I think that's where it's ultimately going to be the downfall for him here. Initially, I was leaning towards Kong. I did the, the research uh, last night. And I, I got to say, I'm, I'm more so on the uh, Dana Bakaril side here. As long as he can keep this fight in the standing position, he should be able to really touch up Kong on the feet. And I think he can maybe even knock him out later on in this fight. So I, I'm going to go with Bakaril. Uh, the, another spot that I'm thinking about, I just don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger. It doesn't even seem like uh, Best Fight Odds has the odds here. Maybe you can let me know, Mike. The, the violence bet here, the under two and a half, the fight doesn't go to decision. I do think there are finishing opportunities for both guys here, but I do, do think ultimately it'll be back to finding that chin of Kong and putting him out here. What What are your thoughts on this one? And uh, you know what? I'll just pull up my FanDuel as well and get that get those odds. But continue uh, on. FanDuel is lacking. Not, they don't have the props up on FanDuel yet. Oh my god! Uh, for What's a lot going of on? It's a pay per view. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on. It's It's actually pretty weird that they don't. But um, you know, I'm looking at FanDuel. The line on the fight itself, obviously, you have um kong as a, a small dog i mean this is a tough fight for me because i do like and respect the knockout power of dana but again when you go back and look you know at who he fought uh, i mean he lost you know his first fight to highly alatang who's decent but you know knocked out guido canetti knocked out not vadad who i'm not really that high on i know a lot of people are 
I mean, Brandon Davis is like that middle of the road fighter that, you know, was a common opponent to both. And then he lost, you know, to the first like in your face, Chris Gutierrez, you know, leg kicks and power striker. Um, I know. I think Kong brings like an interesting dynamic here that, yeah, he can strike a little bit, but you know, that smothering wrestling game, I think he's going to be the much larger fighter here too. Cause he seems to suck out on the, on the weight cut and then, you know, put on a lot of size. He has the experience, but also on the flip side of that too. I mean, you know, he lost to Ronnie Yaya, lost to Ricardo Ramos, but no great, great wins. It's a tough fight for me. I have no bet on it right now. And I lean the Kong side, but you know, no real conviction on it, you know, kind of like a pass for me right now. Under two and a half currently sits at plus 100, according to DraftKings. I'm assuming the fight doesn't go to decision would mean uh, like uh, I, I can't see it here, but I'm assuming minus 120-ish or something is what you'll get on that. Yeah, yeah I, I'm feeling violence more than anything on this fight. Uh, money line side, again, it's very tough. Like one of the weakest parts of my games, looking back at my track record, is picking slight favorites. That is like the bane of my existence. I do very good on big favorites. I do very good on slight underdogs. But whenever I pull the trigger on a slight favorite, I always end up shit in the bed there. So it's kind of scary for me to actually put the money out here on Denab Batcarillo. If I'm not mistaken, he was a slight favorite against Chris Gutierrez in his last fight. And I was, I believe I did pull the trigger that night and uh, ended up paying for it as he did end up losing that fight. So... um yeah, I'll lean with Baccarel here as the the pick, um, but I'll likely have some action on the under two and a half, man. I do think both guys have tremendous finishing upside. The submission uh, prowess of Kong or obviously the knockout power of Dana Baccarel. It'll be interesting to see which guy has the edge here, the striker or the grappler, who can keep it in their realm, and whoever can keep it in their realm, I think will likely get the finish here. So I'm going to go Baccarel. In terms of an official prediction from you, Mike, though, what, what, what uh, our official prediction I'm going to take right now, what's the plus 110 with Kang. And okay. it's almost like a show me fight for both. And, you know, as a better, you know, and a DFS player, like I, I always have exposure to every fight in one form or not. So in this fight, I think I'm going to get, you know, a lot of Kang exposure and like, you know, probably more lineups than Dana and then use the Dana side in like my GPP builds. And, you know, um, I'm not sure if you dabble that much into the DFS, but a GPP is like, you know, a binary outcome, right? He's either going to get like a knockout and score a lot, or he could lose the fight. So it's like more of a higher risk lineup. So I'll put him in like bundles, the Dana side and like my GPP higher risk, you know, all or nothing type lineups and probably, Kong in like the safer builds where I'm looking to get some points with takedowns and he also has the win equity upside. So um, as of now, I don't have a bet and I probably won't. But if, you know, my official pick is Kong plus the 110, I'll take the dog until Dana shows me. Yeah, unfortunately, up here in Ontario and Canada, they just recently got rid of uh, Daily Fantasy. So we're not able to play any DFS, DraftKings or anything up here. It is strictly wagering. Okay. straight bets parlays all that type of stuff you know it, it was kind of bittersweet for us we got they got rid of daily fantasy but they added all these new sports books to us the fan duos the the draft kings the point bets all, all those uh books are now available to us but we did lose daily fantasy which is something i hope we eventually get back because i love that style of betting too man like it is a completely different spectrum compared to just picking a fighter so uh hopefully fingers crossed one day ontario will lighten up and be like hey you know what we already had it why why don't we just bring it back all right, let us move on to the next fight here. Very intrigued to hear your thoughts here. We got a middleweight bout between Brendan Allen and Jacob Malkoon. In terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 320 on Brendan Allen and plus 250 for the ever 
underrated and disrespected Jacob Malkoon. Mike, I'm going to let you kick this one off, man. For me personally, I'll, I'll lead, I'll tee it up to you like this. I don't get why Brendan Allen is always this crazy big favorite. I, I you know, he should win fights. You know, the Kyle Dawkins fight, the Sam Alvey fight, you know, all these fights where he's the giant favorite. Chris Curtis, he ends up shit in the bed there. He's always the big favorite. What's the deal? What, what, do you think he deserves to be the big favorite here? And ultimately, who do you think wins? I, to answer your question first, no, I don't think he deserves to be that big of a favorite. <laughs> and, you know, I have a weird thing with Brendan Allen too, right? Like, um, started with the Strickland fight. Like, I knew Strickland was the better fighter. But Brendan Allen, like, has this thing where he's good everywhere, which he is. You know, he's got good on the ground. But, I mean, he just – I'm not sold yet, especially to be, you know, a minus 330, 340 favorite here. I, I love a wrestler. I'm a sucker for a wrestler. I love a good wrestler. If I can take somebody and put them on their back, and hold them there and grind on them and sweat and drip blood and shit in their face. I want that guy <laughs> rather than the kickboxer say all day, you know, so it's an interesting dynamic here that Brendan Allen's not a kickboxer per se, right. Is better probably on the ground. I, I would say than he is on the feet, you know, for his personal skill set. I think he's going to hold a distinct advantage on the feet here. Right. Um, and probably he's probably the better submission grappler of the two, but I would have to say that Malcoon's probably the better pure wrestler of the two and the better MMA wrestler of the two. The guy that's going to like grind you. And I'm having a hard time thinking that I, I'm not going to bet the Malcoon side. I mean, just because of the value, again, plus 240. I mean, here's a guy that's getting eight takedowns, six takedowns. But the X factor is they were against strikers, right? So now he's going against the guy who's capable on the ground. Um, so it's an interesting fight for me. I don't have a bet on it yet. But... You know, that loss against Curtis uh, for me hurt, right? And, yeah, he should go in there and submit Sam Alvey, you know, and he should go in there and and, and be Carl Roberson, the kickboxer. And rightfully so, he should have lost to Strickland. Strickland's like, you know, caveman animal. I respect the skill set. But um, Malcoon, man, you know, yeah, he lost. He got starched by Hawes in his debut, and he came back. I was on him in both of those, you know, next two fights. So I think the value lies with Malcoon for sure. Don't have an official bet on it, but if I had to give you like a, a lean right now, I'm going to have a ton of Malcoon in, in DraftKings, again, with the price and the way he scores with the takedowns. And I'd have to, if I had to pick one or the other, put one unit to win 2.5 on Malcoon and risk 3.3 to win one on, uh, you know, Allen as of now. Yeah, I, I, I kind of lean with you. My, my prediction is going to be Brandon Allen because I think he's the better complete fighter here. But from a gambling perspective, and when you're talking about percentages and all that, there's no way he should be up in the minus 300 range, right? This is a legitimate uh, opponent for him. Jacob Malkun is a legitimate Brazilian jiu-jitsu player, and I think we're going to see that once this fight hits the mat. It depends on if Brandon Allen wants to take it there, though, right? Like, is he going to willingly engage in the grappling? Is he going to... I don't think he's going to have a choice. Yeah. I, I think that Malkun's going to be on him like stink on shit. Yeah. And Allen yeah. can either have to defend it or try to reverse it or initiate it because... I don't see a scenario where Malcoon's going to come out and decide he's going to be a point kickboxer, right? I mean, he might yeah. throw a little hands and feet and then close the distance, but ultimately he's going to look to grind on him, get his head under his chin, push him up against the cage and take him down or try to get a takedown and open, you know, mat area. And it's going to come down to the offensive grappling of Allen and Malcoon as, you know, good grappler should be, in my opinion, safer on the ground. But we're going to say it's going to be a good fight because like I said, he's fought strikers thus far and he yeah. should be six and eight takedowns against them. 
my my favorite play actually out of anything here is actually the over two and a half at plus 110. I do think that this will be a back and forth grappling affair. I don't think either guy will actually lock up that like legitimate submission here. I do think it'll be a grinding affair, kind of like like you're, what you're talking about. And shout out to my guy at the 90s in the comment section here saying Malcoon by decision at plus 900. Not too bad of a, a spot there either, especially concerning how I see it playing out as well. Again, my prediction is going to be Brendan Allen. I do think he'll get the better, uh, the probably the more damage off here and likely will sway closer to the judges but if Malkun is able to get that top position and keep that top position for you know eight minutes nine minutes likely he could end up getting the decision here as well so rather than picking a side I'm just going to take the total here over two and a half at plus money I like it I I, I could absolutely see it here so uh yeah prediction Allen best bet in my opinion over two and a half uh plus 110 i might even sprinkle that decision that my guy uh the 90s just put out here plus 900 that's not i i do like that and then the other thing i wanted to touch on too before we, we bump i'm sorry these yeah. things hey dude out. we got all the time this time like lay it on me brother all right well you know the other thing like i said malcoon's fought the striker strikers so he should have wrestled but if you look at like even brendan allen's history right I would say he's a well-rounded fighter. Would you agree with that? He can strike, so. he can grapple, he can do a little of everything. But if you look at his history, when he fought a pure grappler, like which was Kyle Dawkins, Dawkins, even though he lost, took him down three times, right? Yeah. And then you don't really see Brendan Allen offensively wrestle, but he did against Kevin Holland, right? Yeah. And that's the game plan that he should have done against them. So he's okay when he can control the wrestling. Because in the other fights where there's no takedowns either way, you know, but what's going to happen when he can't control whether the fight takes place on the feet or on the ground? And that's what I think that Malcoon's going to bring here, because I would say that Brendan Allen, you know, as far as a striker is below, you know, Razak Al-Hassan or maybe even the power of A.J. Dobson. So it's going to be interesting because I believe that he's going to be put in a position that he hasn't in a long time because Sam Alvey wasn't looking to take him down 10 times. You know what I mean? Curtis wasn't looking to take him down 10 times. Soriano wasn't looking to take him down 10 times. Neither was the kickboxer Roberson, who he took down. So now he's going to be more of a defensive. I always like, you know, action instead of reaction, mm -hmm. you know, in a fight especially. So here, I think that the action is going to be initiated, at least from the onstart, by Malcoon. you know? So something to look for. You're, you're talking me onto a, uh, a Malcoon bet here, Mike. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I didn't get you, that you far some good yet, points. But, you know, you gotta you know, lay it all on the table per se, right? For sure. Like uh, the first thing I said, even before I teed this up to you, right, was Brendan Allen, why is he such a big favorite? Like that doesn't make sense to me. He should win. Don't get me wrong, but I think he should be closer in the ballpark of minus 150, maybe minus 160, not minus 300. Makes no sense to me, but we'll see how it plays out come the fights tomorrow night. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We got a lightweight fight between Mahashate going up against Steve Garcia. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 on Steve Garcia, plus 155 on Mahashate. Mike, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. What do you what do you like Thanks. here? <laughs> Thanks. Lay it on um, us. What do you got? What do you, you got? Know, I don't really have anything that I I like, and I'm going to yeah. run and go out of my way yeah. to play. But I'll just take you through my thought process of you know what I see when I look at the fight, right? So you know, like I mentioned, I'm not in a rush to go to go bet it, but. I, I end up favoring the Garcia side. So again, as a yeah. pick, my pick is Garcia. But, you know, one of the things I look at is Garcia is a, like, reminds me of like more of a dog. Like he can scrap, 
you know, he's got nine knockouts. He has had takedowns in UFC fights. And his only career, you know, lost inside the distance was a submission. You know, and on the other hand, when I, I say I'm only looking at, like, what I see. I don't know much about Hayasir, but what I see is, you know, nine total fights, you know, four only inside the distance, only, you know, three by knockout, right? And if you look at his opponents, I mean, they're horrific prior to the UFC. And I know what Garcia is, where I don't know, you know, what Hayasar is per se. And I just look at the intangibles and he's like, not knocking out the cans, you know, and Garcia's tough and he can wrestle. So I think that Garcia's going to hold the grappling edge if he doesn't like what's going on on the feet. And he also has the edge of having, you know, previous UFC fights, even though he's one in one. I mean, you know, he had, again, went through that circus. Um, Hayasar has the contender series fight. You know, which is an interesting thing in itself in that environment. And but, he was uh, a plus 500 underdog in that fight. Yeah, no, and it's a good story and blah, blah, blah. But give me Garcia here. I don't have a bet on him, but um, I, I think he should win. And I think the line might even be a little low here for somebody who has the two fights, UFC experience, nine knockouts, and the ability to wrestle. Yeah, I, I'm likely going to be on your side here with Garcia as well, but I, I... – I, I just can't pull the trigger on the relatively unknown Mahashate. Like where a lot of the, the tape that we have on him is just his two or three fights, right? One of those fights, he just got grinding out by a Russian. And then the other fight, he got uh, pulled off that uh, that upset victory on the contender series. There's just not a lot out there. From what we see, he seems to be a solid striker with some good power. But this kid's still very young. If I'm not mistaken, he's only 22 years old. Steve Garcia has that veteran ability about him. This guy's been all over the place. I believe he's fought in Bellator as well, if I'm not mistaken. But he has that grappling edge here, which will likely be the difference maker. That if he doesn't like what's happening on the feet, he'll likely be able to take this fight to the ground and kind of control him there. I see a lot of people giving Garcia shit because he got rocked by uh, Charlie Ontiveros in a prior UFC fight. You know, the, the public perception on Charlie Ontiveros is not the greatest at this moment in time. And I completely understand after, you know, running the tape and, and all that. But we got to give some credit to Charlie as he is a very explosive and powerful striker. That's how he's been able to get, uh, you know, those wins that he's already gotten on his record. And that's how he made it to the UFC because if his striking is working in a fight more than likely he's able to knock his opponents out he almost knocked out steve garcia but was not able to and then eventually succumbed to the grappling onslaught of steve garcia i could see the same thing happening here mahashate might have early success with his striking but once steve garcia starts getting those wrestling shoes on i think it's going to get harder and harder for uh, mahashate to keep this fight upright and keep it in a realm that he's going to be successful in so uh yeah i'll be on the steve garcia side as well probably no bet for me again it, this is a fight where i just I, I kind of just wish it fell through. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of wish we kept the cop and Bontarine fight, and this fight was just like, ah, whatever. Well, we don't need this one anymore. But I'll probably still throw in a lottery parlay or something like that just for the fucking Also, don't sleep on the fact that Steve um, uh, Garcia is the only one to ever beat Ronnie Lawrence, and I respect the hell out of Ronnie yeah. Lawrence. Yeah. So not only did fight in Bellator, yeah, man, he gave Ronnie Lawrence his only loss. And don't dismiss the fact, too, when you go look at the previous competition for Hyasar, I mean, even the guy he fought previous to the Contender Series fight is like one and three. Yeah. And the more you look at it, one, five, one, three. So, I mean, this guy's fighting Ronnie Lawrence and Bellator prior to going to yeah. the UFC. And, he, in my opinion, he's the better wrestler. And then if you look even at this upset fight that this kid had on the, the Contender Series, um, he won a unanimous decision. Um, I don't even know how to say his name. What is it? Uh, ISR. But, I mean, he threw 49 strikes, no takedowns, against somebody who threw 48 strikes with no takedowns. So it wasn't like he came in and, like, lit somebody up or came in and took them down eight times. 
So to me, give me the guy who's been through the meat grinder of the Bellator, LFA, two fights in the UFC. He can wrestle and he's got nine knockouts versus the guy who only has three knockouts against one and two fighters. Exactly. And uh, as a fellow Canadian myself, our regional scene up here is not the strongest. So to beat a minus 300 Canadian prospect, uh, let's let's not put too much stock into that. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be looking at, <coughs> excuse me, we got Sungwoo Choi going up against Joshua Kulibau in terms of odds. We're currently looking at minus 235 on Sungwoo Choi and plus 190 the return on Joshua Kulibau. Uh, very intriguing fight here. I, I'm a fan of Sungwoo Choi. I love his striking style. Very rangy, very tall for this division. And when he's able to settle into that that uh, rangy striking style and, and get into his groove, it's very difficult to stop him, right? The guy has great combination, great head kicks, has some solid power as well, stinging power, if that's what you want to call it. And does a really good job in just... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just staying on the outside and just battering his opponents. Kulibau likes a brawl, right? That's what he's hoping that this fight's going to turn into as a fight where he can get Sungu Choi to stay in the pocket and exchange some big shots with him. That's where Kulibau will likely thrive. Another way that he could thrive is likely taking this fight to the ground. But usually, you know, more often than not, that's not really his style. He likes to go out there. He likes to swing that leather and try to knock his opponents out. I think he's going to struggle to do that here against Troy. I get why Troy is a big favorite. I'm getting away from, you know, parlaying those minus 200 favorites and all that. But if I were to throw a parlay together, I think Troy would likely be a part of that here. I do think he is the better fighter, better striker. And, uh, you know, if Kulibao's chin wasn't made of granite, uh, I think he'd be able to knock him out here. But I think he's going to style on him for the majority of 15 minutes and uh, win this fight by decision. That prop currently sits at uh, plus 175. But yeah, I like some Troy here. I think this goes a distance, which is minus 120. But Troy straight up, I think that's the spot. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I can't disagree with you. Um, I'm pretty much exactly like you said. If I do bet this fight, it will be Troy as a parlay piece. I'm not really high on Koulibao, um, although, you know, he fought good against Charles Jourdain. I mean, you know, he got knocked out against Jalen Turner. And then on the other hand, uh, Choi's losses in the UFC have been submissions, right? So is Koulibao going to come out here and submit him now? So you're probably going to see like um, a kickboxing type fight with more of a power-based Koulibao. And to me, like Choi fights long, in my opinion, which is good for him. And, um, you know, only losing with the submissions. I mean, Gavin Tucker, no shame. I mean, he went the distance with Evloev, you know, who we respect the hell out of too. So if he went the distance with Evloev, I mean, he's fought the grapplers. He's gotten submitted. I mean, I, I have the same lean. I lean Choi as a parlay piece. Not going out of my way to bet it. You know, and as far as DraftKings, the same thing. Um, Cooley Bow would be one of those fighters you put in like the high – you know, variance, knockout, GPP lineups, really. I don't see him winning, you know, a decision, you know, eight out of 10 times. I would lean, you know, Troy winning the six, let's call it out of 10, over Koulibao. And I would see Koulibao maybe getting a knockout in two of the 10, maybe three, you know, so that would land me on the Troy side. But I think the line's fair in this fight. You know, um, not going out of my way to bet it, but the official pick is, is Troy. I love it. I love it. All right. Nice and uh, efficient on that breakdown here. Let's get to the, the main card. But before we do, shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. And show my guy Mike some love as well. I have his Twitter account linked in the description below, at AMA Fight Club. Make sure you guys go check him out there. And then I'll give him an opportunity on the back end of the show to let you guys know everything else he's involved with because this man is absolutely killing it in the game. And if you know him being in first place in my, in my lock that I challenge high stakes game is not 
not enough for uh, to sell you that he's a sharp ass motherfucker. I'm sure you guys will find out by the end of the the show how sharp he actually is. All right, let us move on to the main card here, and we touched upon this at the top of the show, uh, Mike Jack Della Madalena going up against Ramazan Amiv. We got minus one fifty five on Madalena and plus one thirty five on Ramazan Amiv. Uh, I'll let you kick this one off, Mike. Do you think that Jack is the real deal? Do you think he'll actually get it done over his toughest test to date? I do, and I have a bet on it already. So I already oh, that. Shit. that was my other bet that I gave on the Stay Cash and Show. So um, I laid the 155. I, I bet on Della Madalena for a lot of the reasons you know that I touched on. I mean, before we get the skill set, okay, and we, we break down the fight again, it gets to the business of UFC. UFC is a huge business, man. This is a pay per view card. There's only eight per year. Those five slots on a pay per view card are prime real estate. Fighters kill each other, get points on pay per views and different things. The main event on a pay per view is always a title fight, right? The only time ever in history it wasn't was you know Nate versus uh, Masvidal, right? Yeah. In my opinion, I think I think that was it. But other than that, Nate I mean, those spots, yeah, yeah. main event, they're taken. But then the next best spot is that opening fight. So again, when I think that everybody's in their war room at the UFC and they're looking at the board, you know, from the business end, right off the bat, like I mentioned earlier, I just don't think that they're going to say, well, you know what, let's look at this whole card. And I got a guy coming off seven decisions, including two split decisions and the loss. But I want to give him the most prime real estate on the card. You know, I would think that that's reserved for the Madalena side, right? And yeah, Ameev is a tough test and he's a good grappler, good record and whatnot. But also look at this age difference. You know, you have Madeline is 10 years younger. And even though Ameev is cut from that cloth of that smothering Dagestani rushing grappling type, he's on the, like the lower rung of the ladder, right? He's not Khabib. He's not Islam. And he's capable at doing it, but you lost to Danny Roberts and no offense or disrespect to Danny Roberts. Lost. You lost. lost to, you lost to Danny Roberts. <laughs> and before that, you barely beat David Zawada. And before that, you went the distance with Nicholas Stolze. You know what I mean? And before that, you lost to Anthony Rocco Martin, who I like and I like and respect, right? So if you lost to Martin and Roberts, you win a split decision to Zawada, and you allow Nicholas Stolze to take you to distance, hey, man, pump the brakes for me there. And now let me look at the other side. I got Madalena, 25 years old, from a hot region the UFC is trying to develop. You know, he's 11 and two with 10 wins inside the distance, including nine by knockout. And hey, when he loses, he gets stopped. So is Amiv going to come in here and wrestle fuck him? Or is he going to come here and like submit him or knock him out? And So I think it's a great matchup for Madalena. So now you get into the intangibles of it. Madalena's got fast hands, good boxing. And yeah, he hasn't probably been tested with that smothering grappling of Amiv yet. But at the end of the day, is Amiv going to be able to do that to Madalena for three full rounds without Madalena, you know, digging under hooks, getting out, spinning him, and getting back to his game? Or is he going to get taken down and controlled by Amiv, who's not, you know, brawly a steam on the ground, you know, for 15 minutes? I just think that Madalena is going to do what he needs and wants to do prior than Amiv doing it for over the course of 15 minutes. And I think the line is very fair, minus 155. So I already bet it. I have a bet on Madeleine here. I will likely be against you here. I'm going to go with the Russians here. Now I get, now, the beauty of the now, show. 
No, yeah, exactly. You lay a great points for Jack Delameda later, right? Like, if this is his fight, he likely keeps it standing. He likes the outpoints, Ramazan Omiv, who, you know, that's kind of been the bane of his existence in the UFC is he always fights very close to the level of his competition, but he always manages to edge it out. And the reason I gave the air quotes that he lost to Danny Roberts, I thought he won that fight, but again, he does no favors for himself. Yeah, exactly. He, he does no favors for himself, though, by making fights as close as they are, which is why I feel more comfortable playing him as an underdog rather than a minus 200 favorite, which he normally is. In this spot, I do think that he will be able to get the wrestling going. I do think he'll be able to wipe blanket Jack Della Maddalena here. Because if we go back and watch some of the tape in his uh, in the regional scene for Jack, although he is undefeated, he goes out there and still manages to get taken down by lesser competition, manages to, you know, struggle at times on the ground. But his go-to move for getting back up is that Kimura sweep. Either he uses it to thre threaten the actual submission or he uses it to reverse position or he use uses it to get back to his feet. I don't know how much that's going to work on Ramazan Amiv over and over again if he finds himself on his back. Should this fight play out in the kickboxing realm for 15 minutes, then yeah, I probably won't feel good about Ramazan Amiv here. As like we said, his output is not the greatest, but... He does his best work when he's able to drown these guys. The Stolze fight, yeah, the Stolze is getting finished left, right, and center at this point in his career. But Ramaz that's not Ramazan's game, right? Since he's coming to the UFC, he's been more of that wet blanket type. He's that guy that wants to drown you. He doesn't care about the, the Instagram followers. He doesn't care about – it doesn't even seem like he cares about getting a title shot anytime soon. He just wants to get the dub. He wants to get both of his paychecks when he leaves uh, the arena that night. And I feel like here he'll be able to do that against the toughest test in Jack Della Maddalena. I just, for me personally, it's tough to lay the chalk on a guy who's having the biggest test of his career at this moment in time. He might pass it with flying colors, but for me personally, I you know, it, go ahead, beat Pete Rodriguez. Go ahead, beat some of these guys on the Australian regional scene. You're getting a legitimate Russian guy here in Ramazan Amiv who's proven that you know he's a fringe top 20 guy in this division. Will Jack be able to surpass that? He might, but the route that he's currently taking to go through a guy like Ramazan Amiv might not be the route to get past that top 20. I believe Jack has tremendous potential, but I think stylistically speaking, this might not be the best for him. So I'm going to go Ramazan here. I think we get a classic Ramazan decision here, which I think is currently sitting around plus 200 or plus 250. Might as well even bet that if you want, but I don't like getting that greedy, especially with underdogs. I might as well just take the money line here on Ramazan in case he does manage to sneak some sort of submission or something if he does be able to, uh, is able to get him on the ground. So uh, yeah, give me Ramazan. Ramazan, the wet blanket Amiv, that's I, I, I like it. You know, we're a couple gun, gun, uh, against each other on a couple things. Um, I agree with everything that you're saying, obviously, like I said, about being the toughest test. But then again, when you're playing a game, you know, you give, get, and whatnot. And I can't get over the fact that this would be the opening fight on the UFC pay-per-view. I mean, I'm sorry. What did the UFC just wake up and all of a sudden say, I'm going to decide to promote the wet blanket, Amiv? That, no, that's the thing, though. That, no. That's the thing, Mike. That, that's this the is thing. a businessman, Preet. Yeah. No, Who's I completely understand that. Who's you train with? Yep. Who do they want to build up? What market yep. do they want to penetrate next? You know, like, all these things go into it, and I'm having a hard time just thinking that they're going to put this fight there unless, again, who's his manager? Who's he trained with? What this is where I'm going to – this is my rebuttal here. Mike, yeah. you've been around long uh, the game long enough, and you might have even had this with a couple of your fighters. Sometimes when they have a prospect on their hand they think is a legit guy and they want to build up, they send him a list of names, right? 
they don't just give you one name. They send a list and say, well, depends who on who's you calling fight? you, because I dealt with Joe Silva predominantly. <laughs> and, then Tommy and Mick Maynard is a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, but I've never had a fighter that I booked through him. But it depends on the style of who you're talking to on the other end. And sometimes yeah. the call comes back in my day from Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta when yeah. you're talking about main events, you know, yeah. types of things. So, uh, for, for me personally, the, the I don't only- know that. Who, who's booking that? And I want to add one more thing, but go ahead. Yeah, the the, the experience that I've had is uh, Elias Theodore used to fight out of the gym that I used to work at, and they would always send him a list of names. It'd be like, who do you want to fight? And then me and the coach and the rest of his coaching staff and all that would go through the names and be like, okay, this is the best stylistic matchup for him. Let's go with this one. I think Bruno Santos was the guy that we ended up leaning on on one of the fights. But either way, um, it's one thing to get that list of names and pick that opponent. Yeah. It's another thing to actually go out there and do it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and like the cage and fight for him, like we said earlier. Yeah, exactly. They can't they can't fight for him inside the cage. Well, Carlos Alberg is another guy that comes to mind, right? They <laughs> handpicked Kennedy and Zetchiko for him that night. And then Zetchiko said, nah, dog, I'm not gonna just be a, a stepping stone for you to make your name off me. Uh, and you know, being Israel Adesanya's corner man, that's not that's not gonna cut it. So now it comes down to Jack actually getting inside that cage and proving people wrong that he should be the favorite in this fight. I'm not sold yet. I no, will likely go on the Ramazan. Go ahead. Hit me, hit me, hit me. You mentioned earlier, right, about some things that were previously in Madalena's career prior to the UFC. Well, that's also factor, and that's when he was 19 and 20 years old, right? So he's only 25 right now. So those yeah. fights from 2016, 2017, it's 19 and 20. And one thing that Improvements I Improvements can be had, for fighters, sure. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I know from working with fighters, too, the older you get, right? And I know the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? But that guy that comes in limping that you know is going to just get his hands on you and use like a pick ankle and he's going to do it nine times out of 10. And it's just what he's good at. The flip side to that is when you get these kids that come in, like I had Mickey Gall come to me zero and zero, right? And I'm throwing him in with Dan Miller and all the killers. I had Dylan Dennis come to me at 16. He couldn't even do a push-up. We used to laugh about it. <laughs> you know, but like I'm saying, like they develop in compounds so fast. So the leaps and bounds that like, let's say a Dylan Dennis made in my gym, I'll never forget the first time he submitted me. And I'm like, oh my mm. God, fuck. You know, it's over. This guy's becoming a man now and he's going to be amazing and grappling and you can just see it. That compounds so fast. So how different is a Jack Della Maddalena from 19 to 25? How different is he from, you know, 21 to 25 or even the fact of Maddalena prior to fighting a Pete Rodriguez or even getting a win against Lusa on the Contender Series? I mean, he's making leaps and bounds. And in my narrative or scenario I'm creating, Amiv is the guy that comes limping in that's going to do his move that you know he's going to do and get you down, right? So I'm going to bet on the younger, more athletic fighter who's improving in that scenario versus the Amiv, who's not a world beater. And I'm going to end with one more question because I'm having a hard time remembering. I know I lost money on Amiv because I had him against Roberts. And I believe I thought he won the fight, you know, like you're saying. But what, in your opinion, if you have a better recollection of that fight, why didn't he win that fight then, right? And will Madalena have those same attributes to present as Danny Roberts, who I don't think is a world beater who has six losses? It was, I believe, the the damage per se that Danny Roberts was likely landing on the feet that outweighed the grappling success that Ramazan was having that night. And Jack could absolutely go that route and do that too, right? But this is also a numbers game at the end of the day, right? You're giving me a somewhat proven guy with very good wrestling game at plus money against the guy that's still, you know, he might be the shit. He might be the next big thing, but we just don't have those answers answered or those questions answered yet against a legitimate opponent. In my opinion, Ramazan is the first legitimate opponent he's going up against. 
it's tough to lay for me personally I, I you know you might see something that i don't so you know credit to you for being able to get the confidence to pull the trigger at shock for me i just can't get there myself I'm with you. You know what I mean? And like I said, that's great to be on the show and here on opposite yeah. sides. And of course, I'm not right every fight. If I was right every fight, yeah, exactly. uh, I'd be a gazillionaire. But also, <laughs> one, 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 you know, last thing um, um, on this fight, too. Hold on one second. I just had a No, go for it. Yeah, and I, I lost my thought. Uh, the volume. Nah, I, it must have slipped my mind, but I had something to add and I didn't want to cut you off and I lost it. But if it comes back to me, I'll, I'll bring it back up. Yeah, don't worry. If it does come back to you in the next fight, we'll definitely swing back to it. No problems. All right. Let us move on to the next fight, which is the fight that was previously on the prelims. Now it is a welterweight fight in the main card. We got another similar situation here. We got the UFC veteran Jake Matthews now going up against Andre Fialo. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 145 for Fialo and plus 125 the return on Jake Matthews, I believe it is your turn to kick it off now, if I'm not mistaken. So please do let me know what are your thoughts. What are your I, thoughts? I, I thought of what I was gonna say too. Uh, you can't go for be, it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Can't be ignored. You know, you look. Um, you know, when you're betting fights or looking at it, you take a lot of information into account, right? And not one is like, in my opinion, outweighing another greatly. So it's just a, a piece of the recipe. But something of note is that Della Madalena, you know, is the line that. When the lines come out initially and the sharps you generally bet early or you know not to say that they're always right or wrong and they're not better than me or maybe i'm not one of them or whatever it is and i'm often against them but this line has got steamed more than any other line yeah. that came out and someone saw some value in that now whether that's a, a professional better a teammate a coach or whoever the hell knows it's just something to note the craziness that this line went from it flipped you know, Amiv, i think opened at like 150 160 and now yeah. Madalena's 155, 160 and climbing. So just to make note of that, okay? No, and great now, point, uh, great point. And into this fight here, this is an interesting fight. This is a fight that I'm, I'm very interested to see. Um, I like a couple things that are going here, right? Um, Matthews got outclassed by Sean Brady, but I know Sean Brady. Sean Brady fought you know, when I was an owner at Cage Fury. You know, I've seen Sean Brady fight his entire career, and I just, I always knew how good he was. And him training with Daniel Gracie and, and you know, that old team. And I would hear, like, the Pat Sabatini's, Paul Felder's people tell me, like, this kid is so strong for his size. And, you know, he uses this one-arm guillotine. <laughs> and, like, I've been hearing it for years, so I wasn't surprised by the Brady win, right? But I was surprised how much he kicked the shit out of Jake Matthews, who I respect. And I think Jake Matthews is pretty much good everywhere. And I thought that that would be a really hard test for Sean, you know, because I thought that Matthews would be able to hold his own on the ground with Sean. And Sean just like literally outclassed him on the ground. Um, here is interesting, too, because Fialo, obviously, you know, you, you talked earlier about striker versus grappler. And Matthews is decent on the feet, too. But I would say he falls into the grappler side in this with Fialo being a striker. Right. And um I don't know what to make of it. I mean, the way that I look at this is I see either Fialo getting a knockout or maybe even improving on the ground. Or I like a hot fighter. Somebody just wins and fights consistently. A lot of momentum in this game and mentally and everything goes along with it. So I like that edge on the Fialo side. But then I do like the edge on the Matthews side with the grappling. So something that jumped out at me was like the Matthews submission props were like plus 900, plus 1,000, plus 800, depending on where you see it. So now if you play the fight out, I think it would be pretty wise for Jake Matthews. If I'm his coach saying, all right, Jake, you know, I respect your striking, but let's keep a real high guard. Let's touch, touch, touch with the jab, you know, fake something and get in on this guy. 
Like if the coach isn't telling him that and he's saying to him, well, come out and let's have a power striking contest against Andre Fialo, <laughs> I, I, he needs to get a new coach, right? So yeah. now it gets into the you can't get in the cage and fight for him. So if you play out the most likely scenarios, it leads to like Fialo by knockout and or decision, right? I don't think he's going to submit, you know, Jake Matthews. But then it gets to like Jake Matthews trying to initiate the grappling. So that would lead to a lot of things. It could lead to frustration from Fialo, you know, where the fighter like looks at the ref like, oh, let me up, like, you know, begging, right? If Matthews is backpacking him or taking his back. And then it leads to what are the results? Can he pound them out for a TKO or can he submit them? So to me, I think that there's a ton of value on Jake Matthews by submission. At, uh, I mean, I don't know what you're looking at, but bet, you know, DraftKings here had plus 900. So mm -hmm. if I was to like bet anything, I would probably maybe – Look at that, Matthews by submission or Matthews with like a double chance, you know, which is the the, the two out of three outcomes, yeah. like Matthews submission, by decision. submission or decision, depending on what that value is, right? Um, but I don't. I have a hard time seeing Fiala winning via submission and I have a hard time seeing him win a decision. So if we like the Fiala side, you almost have to play like the knockout. But um, I don't have a bet on it yet. I initially wanted to bet Matthews, like almost like a no-brainer, especially when I saw the line. Um, but I like a hot fighter, like I say, and I like the look that Fialo had at weigh-ins. I like the look of him training with his team and riding that hot streak. So as of now, no official bet. I'm going to hear what you say, and I know you want an official bet for each side, and I'll give it. Uh, you know, official prediction, not just a bet. Yeah. Like I'm not forcing bets on this my, show. Yeah, it's my more official so just prediction predictions. is going to land on the Matthew side because, again, I always favor, not always, but most times, the grappler over the striker. And I think Matthews has been through enough experience in the UFC to know what it takes to win this fight. And I think he's going to be uber-focused coming off that loss, which snapped his three-fight winning streak. And when it does go to the ground, it's not going to be Sean Brady. You know, it'll be Fialo. So I do would put my bet on Matthews to get the fight where he needs it, thus leading to the, the bet on Matthews. I am all in on Jake Matthews here. Like, this is... I think like I personally right now I have two units on him at plus 140. I pulled out last week, uh, early last week when I saw the line at plus 140. Now it's still around that plus 120, plus 125 range. I'm thinking of adding even more money to it, man. Like I'm, I don't think I can't remember the last time I've been this confident on an underdog because we, we're getting a little bit of a concoction here of, of recency bias on Andre Fiala, in my opinion. He's on a, you know, like you're saying, he's on a bit of a heater right now because he's staying active. He's telling Dana White he wants to fight on every single pay-per-view. He's been doing that for the last couple of pay-per-views now, and he's getting these impressive knockouts, most notably the knockout victory over Miguel Baeza. That's a big win for him. But one thing we have to recognize with Baeza, man, that guy's chin is just done so at this point in time in his career, which is sad to say because I thought that kid had a bright future inside the UFC. I thought that guy was a top five type of fighter. He has a striking. He has the jujitsu. That chin and durability just could not withstand any of the power that he's going up against. And now you're getting a guy here in Jake Matthews who's ever only been TKO'd once in his career against Kevin Lee, and that was with a grappling heavy game plan. Most of the losses on Jake Matthews' record are coming from guys that have better grappling than him. He's never been outstruck by the better striker. He's never been, he's been knocked down once in his UFC career, and that was earlier in his career against, uh, I believe the kid's name was uh, Ak Akbar. Uh, let me just quickly get the name here. Uh, Akbar Ariola is the guy that he got knocked down against. And then he ended up finishing him with a doctor stoppage at the ending of round two. Like 
Jake Matthews was once that prospect. He's in the Jack Della Maddalena position right now, essentially, right? But essentially, it was six years prior for him because he was 19 years old when he made his UFC debut. He's been in the UFC since 2014, and he was a hot prospect back then. I remember time and time again, he would always be the big favorite going into his fights, and now all of a sudden, he's the underdog to a guy that's on a two-fight knockout winning streak. I, I I don't get it. Like the knockouts are we sometimes people overvalue the standing knockout chances of a fighter, right? When you get a guy that has the grappling advantage and can get the TK on the ground, that weighs much more than a guy trying to find the bullseye on a moving target in the standing position. And I think that's the tr trouble that Andre Fialo is going to have here. I don't get how a knockout victory over Cameron Van Camp makes him the uh, the favorite here against a guy like Jake Matthews. Maybe the Miguel Baeza one. Okay, I get that. Baeza is a legitimate fighter, but we know his issues with his chin. Jake Matthews does not have a chin issue. Like I said, only ever been knocked down once in the UFC. He's going to have the grappling advantage here. He's finally filling out that 170-pound uh, uh, weight class as well. Like he, he was a kid for the most of his UFC career. Now he's a man, 27 years old, very much filled it out, like I said. And I think he's going to be the much better grappler here. Like Even if you go back and look at the, the, la the second last loss for Andre Fiola against Antonio Dos Santos Jr., bad look. Horrible gas tank in that fight. Could not keep up with the grappling that Dos Santos Jr. was putting on him there. And then eventually he loses that fight via decision. But if that was Jake Matthews in that position, I like the submission prop that you brought up, Mike. Plus 900 is egregious. Like that is, it should be closer to plus 400 in my opinion. Maybe even plus 300. But yeah, I, I love the submission prop in this fight. I love Jake Matthews. This might be the second time ever I'll have a... Again, I'm very close to pulling the trigger. I have enough confidence in it. I might as well do it. This might be the second time ever that I have a lock of the night play that's at plus money. I love Jake Matthews that much. The only other time was way back when I had pennies for units. Uh, I had Ramazan Amiv against Sam Alvey as my lock of the night play at like plus 140 or something, I think it was. But now here, playing what legitimate money, plus 125 to 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 finish out uh, the, the money that I have on him here. I got to go with Jake Matthews. I absolutely love him in this spot. Me, uh, Let's go, more. Mike. I, oh, I thought you'd see it. I no, thought you'd see it. I got one more. Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I ended up on Matthews, right? Who was my yeah. pick, right? But you also have to factor in some other things. So Fialo has never been submitted, okay? And I know it depends on who he fought and whatnot. Yeah. You know, Matthews is coming off the Brady loss, but even before that, he beat Diego Sanchez. And he beat Emil Meek, you know? I mean... He also has to show me a little bit. He does have the experience, to your point, fighting since 2014, and he's been in there, and he's been through everything again. But don't discount the hot fighter. I'm telling you, mentally, it's even more than anything of this guy who's at a great camp, right? He's training with killers every day, and he's got that knockout power. And Matthews, I mean, who do you think his best win ever was? I mean, who are you going to say? The leech? I mean, who's his best ever win? Hey, I would put I would put fighter. Andre Fialo like lower on the list of guys that he's fought. I don't think you that Fialo's that good. Emil Meek. <laughs> I mean, Meek. Hey, Meek probably outgrapples Fialo and I wins know. that fight too. Fialo might punch the shit out of him. I might have to <laughs> argue that. But but also, I'm just saying to make aware of it. And here's one other thing too. I did say the submission prop, but something that I've got burned with in the past is getting too greedy. And uh, Alonzo Menafield comes to mind where I had him oh, by submission and he fucking got, oh, excuse my dude. Uh, I don't hey, know. What you swear all you want. Swear all you want. It's my channel. So, um, uh, and he got a submission. So if I am going to bet that, you know, that like Matthew's submission prop is like a fraction, but 
What's not that bad is that double date, double uh, uh, chance, you know, uh, uh, TKO knockout or sub plus 450 on DraftKings. Ooh, that's not bad either. If he gets his hooks in a Fialo and bellies him down and starts right. to rain down strikes, he's going to get a TKO instead of the submission. So I, I, I do like that. Now, if you think that Matthews is going to win, you know, it obviously could be a decision, right? Yeah. But you also brought up a great point that Fialo has had cardio problems. So if he's in a bad position early round one, fighters tend to like get very frustrated also, right? And like make a bad decision, put both hands on the mat, get your neck taken. So if you really like the Matthews side, you also have to consider that double chance prop at plus 450 because plus 450, plus 500 is a lot more attractive, right? Than the plus 120, plus 140, um, unless you think he's going to only win a decision. So maybe even on, if you're on the Matthews side, looking at breaking it up, like maybe 80, 20 or 70, you know, uh, uh, 30 or 70, 20, 10, right? But like, a 0.1 unit on by sub, you know, 0.2 units inside the distance, and then you know, 0.7 units on Matthews straight. You know, it's yeah. a fun fight to get creative with if you like the Matthews side. Uh, I I absolutely love it. I think the vast majority of my stake will likely go on his money line, and then just have those little bonuses for his props there. But I think the props are extremely. Uh, like they're they're mispriced in my opinion they are mispriced i think he finishes them late in this fight again don't people on fialo man. i don't know man i i just think that this is one of those spots that as guys like us we need to tackle this well, this is legit recency bias in my opinion and uh fialo he has big knockout power but nothing in jake matthews's career has suggested that he has a bad chin something to watch out for i'll <laughs> see we'll see Diego sanchez at the end of his career he's <laughs> yeah. got to show me and i like jake matthews <laughs> yeah but Perfect. I also like a hot fighter when not yeah. him. Let's see, let's see. But yeah, uh, in terms of predictions, me and Mike, obviously on the uh, Jake Matthews side here, I'm likely going to have a big bet on I already have money on him, but I'll continue to add to it uh, now with my confidence even sky high. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. This is where the business really starts to pick up for a lot of people as they are very excited for the top three fights here. Let's talk about the rematch of a strawweight fight here between Wally Zhang and Joanna Yunjaychik. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 160 on Wally Zhang and uh, plus 140 on Joanna Yunjaychik. I can't remember who started the last one because I got so fired up about Jake Matthews, but uh, I'll, I'll kick this one off. I'll kick it off myself. So when I saw the odds for this one, I'm like, hey, like this, this is mispriced. This should be a, a pick em fight. We saw the last fight. Like it should be a pick em fight. There's a couple of different things about this fight than the last one, though. This is a three-rounder now. This is Yuani and JJ coming off an extended layoff. This is, you know, Wally Zhang. She had her crack at the title to try to get it back. She obviously lost her title as well, but the fight before that to Rose. Very close fight in the second fight against Rose. You know, I, I could see an argument that Ro uh, Wiley actually deserved the decision that night, but that doesn't matter anymore. This is the Yuani and Jacek fight. And I thought that there was going to be some value on Yuana here. You know, she's a great striker. She puts numbers up. She throws in combinations. She makes it difficult for her opponents to catch up with the lead that she's able to make for herself early in fights. However, when you start watching that fight with Wiley Zhang in the first couple of rounds, you see the power of Wiley Zhang be more impactful towards the judges rather than the two, three, four punch combinations that uh, Yuani and Jacek is throwing out there. And I think ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. I don't know if it'll be as entertaining as the first fight. I don't know if Wiley will look to initiate the grappling a little bit more than she did in the first fight. But even if this remains a 15-minute kickboxing fight, 
I, I think the the three rounder more so favors Wally Zhang here because she can go out there and continue to throw her power shots. And with how effective she was and how accurate she was with those strikes in the first fight, gotta believe she's going to be able to land those here as well. And she can land them as counters. She can land them as being the one that goes first. And I think she'll be able to touch uh, Ioana and have more of that impact on the judges. Because again, numbers and output are great, but who's the one getting their head snapped back more often than not? Who's the one, you know, wearing it more than the other one? And I think it's Yuana who's going to be wearing more of the damage in this fight, which is why I end up on the Wiley Zhang side here. I see her actually creeping up around minus 150 on certain spots. I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I've kind of been hesitant because I do feel like this will be a close fight. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the power shots. And I think that's going to be in favor of Wiley Zhang here. So give me Wiley. I might bet her, might just do like 1.5 units to win one. Uh, just to just to get that one unit of profit here, but I do think she should be favored, uh, and I think this line at minus one fifty is a little bit more accurate than what I previously thought, which would be a pick'em line. Uh, so yeah, give me Wally Zhang. What about yourself, Mike? Do, do you see the value on Yuana here, or do you agree with where the line is? I I agree with where the line is, and you covered a couple good things, and I'll expand on some other thoughts I had on this fight. So um, yeah, okay. Um, Double-edged sword, okay? This is Joanna's first fight back since the Wiley fight, right? So when I say double-edged sword, because sometimes it's good to take a mental break. Sometimes it's good to take a physical break for your body. You know, you have to listen to your body. Sometimes it hurts. Well, she listened to her body and got breast implants. <laughs> I was going to touch yeah. on that. But I, I'm like, I, have, I have to because <laughs> I got to tell you, like, not knocking anything, right? Yeah. I mean, I love breast implants. But, no pun intended. But <laughs> sometimes also my head goes to fighters, right? Like when you're fighting, you have such a small window. Like you got to concentrate on being the best fighter. Like even some people that like pedal endorsements too much. Like I'm big on the business side too, and you got to make money. But look, you're fighting, man. You got to fight. You got to get to the gym. You got to spar, train, blah, blah, blah. Like I kind of saw that with Joanna where she was dominating everybody to stardom, right? Like it changed a little bit, you know, um, where she started to like dress prettier and do different things. And, you know, like it may not look on the surface like a lot, but having cornered 50 UFC fights, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen behind the scenes. I've had fighters that didn't want certain things. I believe me, it's just like little things that come to you. On the flip side, I said it's a double-edged sword. It could be good for Joanna that she took the time off for her body, off the loss, regained, trained, and got the competitive spirit back. But it also could be a detriment because we only have a three-round fight now instead of a five. It might take her longer to fire up those engines. I mean, you have sparring. You have hard sparring. There's different things you can do. But nothing really can duplicate a fight, you know, your heart and the fight or flight and getting punched in the nose and, like, it's different, right? So depending on Joanna on how fast she can get started. So all things considered, the first time that they fought, they were both firing on all cylinders, and it was a good close fight that, you know, I did think that Wiley won. Now you have one race car that's not really fired up and going yet and a shortened track, you know, with three rounds against the fighter they're familiar with who had two fights since and has more power and finishing ability and, in my opinion, holds the wrestling edge. So that leans me greatly so towards the Wiley side, right? Especially for Wiley, former champion, coming off two losses, even though they were both to Rose. So when I look at fights, you know, like I said, you're never going to always get it right, but I just try to find more indicators or check marks in one column versus the other. And right now for me, I have way more check marks inside the Wiley column than I do the Joanna column, who I love. I love Joanna Champion. I love everything about her. 
But from this betting perspective, I just think it's going to be in a tough spot, you know, to come back and take this in a three round. I, I really wish, and somebody brought it up to me earlier, that this was like a main event on another card and we got five rounds of Joanna and Wiley again. I think it's an injustice to us as fans that this is a three-round fight buried on a five-fight, you know, pay-per-view card from Singapore with two really good fights at the end of the fight. Like, this fight should be, when they're all looking at their boards, like I mentioned earlier, hey, let's take this ESPN card, right, or this ABC card, or even a fight night in a lower market and make it a five-round main event. So I'm a little pissed, you know, and I feel a little robbed that we're not getting another five rounds. I know. In a vacuum, three-round fight, all things considered. I'm on Wiley. Uh, a part of me feels like it might have been Yuana's decision to make this a three-round fight, right? Like, I feel like th th there must have been conversation about this being a, a five-rounder, but I don't think she wants to do the extra two. Like, why should she, right? It's not a main event. It's not a title fight. You know, I, I feel like she is dialing her career trajectory closer to IG model than it is to regaining the title. And I think you kind I of alluded that to yeah, that as well. I saw it too. Yeah. So too. Yeah. And uh, what did Wiley Zhang do since that time? She cut her hair. She goes, let's fucking go. You know what I mean? She, she, she even to said to Joanna the other day, you're much prettier than me. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that? I didn't know. I actually yeah, Joanna had like the on and she was doing like the whole thing. And there's one, one more thing I want to point out about this fight. I'm very big on energy. Okay, the way yeah. people handle themselves. What do they do with their hands when they face off? Well, how is their chest and their breathing? And I got to say, both of these fighters have very weird energy. The energy yeah. is off for both of them. Where Joanna used to be menacing and getting people's face and getting yeah, down and say you're going to eat their kids and soul like Mike Tyson. It almost looked manufactured. Yes, with uh, yes. Wiley this time around. And for Wiley, she had a lot of nervous energy, very awkward looking around and yeah. you know, touching and shaking and bowing. Yeah. Like it was very awkward. The energy is very off. I, I think it could do with also the their first meeting, right? Like they know they have like a, a master class or or a masterpiece to try to top from the first time that they met. So uh yeah, I'm interested to see how it looks. They both More got often to focus not. on getting a win. That's yeah, exactly. Exactly. We know this, Mike, though. Whenever we have a rematch of a classic fight, it never really lives up, right? Like like Shogun Hendo won. It never really lived up to the second fight. Uh, or sorry, the second fight never really lived up to the first one. I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, Bigfoot yeah, Silva and uh, Mark Hunt. You can see Wiley's takedown here, and that striking war is gone, and exactly. maybe she grounds her out. But um, yeah. you're right, 100%. Perfect. So uh, official prediction from both of us, we're going to go Wiley Zhang, correct? Correct. Awesome. All right. Let us get to the co-main event here. We have the women's flyweight strap on the line. We got Valentina Shevchenko coming in as a minus 630 favorite, plus 450 to return on the Brazilian contender, Tyla Santos. I'll let you kick this one off, Mike. Does Tyla have a chance or does the or flyweight goat reign supreme once again? Well, she definitely has a chance, right? There's always a chance, but I'll tell you, man, nothing I've seen from Valentina yet leads me to believe that like she's falling off and and yeah. i can't lie i mean i bet against her a couple of times thinking that like now is the time <laughs> yeah like, i really did and i know you know a lot of people who i respect you know they're saying well santos is the one and you know santos with the wrestling and blah blah but valentina's no slouch on the ground i mean she's good in the clinch she's good with wrestling i mean she's kind of good everywhere and you know talia santos is good too right but you know she submitted Joanne Wood. I mean, she beat Roxanne. She Montgomery. knocked her out. 
who's like the ghost of Roxanne Modafferi, right, at the end of her career. I mean, she couldn't finish Jillian Robertson. I mean, yeah, Robertson's a grappler. I mean, Molly Meatball McCann, she lost. I mean, we're going to bet on a girl that lost to Mara Romero Barella. I mean, just four fights ago against Valentina Shevchenko. Um, maybe she's getting better. She's 28. Like I said earlier about, you know, the compounding fighters, but I just haven't seen anything yet. That's going to make me say, I don't know, Valentina isn't going to just do what she normally does. I mean, Lauren Murphy gave her a tough fight. Maybe that's the argument. Um, I can't get on that Santos side is a bet. I definitely don't want to lay 600 with Shevchenko. Um, but it's like one of those situations where, I think she's a little opposite. Like we were talking about her, the fame. Like, I don't know if she's after. Yeah. I think she kind of just wants to be the best. You know? yeah. So um, it's hard to get off that side. It's hard to find value to bet it, you know, at 600. So I'll probably gain my exposure in DraftKings, you know, like Valentina and a bunch of my lineups. She scores well in her wins. Uh, maybe throw in a parlay. And it's funny. Um, when I did the Madeleine bet, I said, what is it going to do if I put Valentina in at 600. So rather than laying 155 with Madalena, if I was to include Valentina, it took it down to minus 122. Oh, so I was like, do I want to really add the risk of another fighter? No, right? No. Being a sicko. So I, I wound up on the straight bet with Madalena, but it shows you where my head was wanting to bet Shevchenko, right? Like trying to find a way. I just couldn't, you know, because of the value. So uh, I, I, give me Valentina for the official pick, you know, but hard to bet the fight. Yeah, I think this is where like casinos and sportsbooks make most of the money is those like surefire spots, right? Where like there's a banana peel moment on a, like say Valentina Shevchenko turns her ACL or some shit. Or if she actually legitimately loses, you know, the guy that parlayed her with Jack Dedema, Madalena and got that minus 123, he's just kicking himself for even bothering adding that uh, that extra juice into that parlay. I don't think that this is one of those spots where you can just blindly throw in Valentina Shevchenko, right? I think the only time I've done it during this run that she's on is the the same card where Usman fought uh, Masvidal, where I parlayed them to, or, uh, yeah, where he fought Masvidal. I believe she was the co-main event that night against somebody else. And that's the only time I've ever parlayed her at heavy chalk because I thought it was a, a shoe. And I can't remember who it was, whether it was Chuke again, Lauren Murphy, I don't recall off the top of my head. But this is, in my opinion, this is her toughest test since... Uh, and Jacek, like when she won the title way back at UFC 231. I think Tyler Santos has the striking to remain somewhat competitive. I think Tyler Santos has the strength and the takedowns and the control to control Valentina Shevchenko on the ground if it so happens to play out that way, right? The only chink in the armor that we've seen from Shevchenko since she's won the title is that second round against Jennifer Maya, where Maya was able to accrue almost four and a half minutes of control time in that one five-round, uh, five-minute uh, round fight, right? Or that second round i should say sorry that's the only chink we've seen and we're used to seeing her pretty active off her back right i was very surprised when she pulled off that uh, armbar victory i think it was over juliana pena uh, several years ago not a lot of people thought shevchenko could win that way i remember everybody labeling that as a grappler versus striker and then once pena got that takedown they're like all right this is a wrap and then out of nowhere shevchenko pulls out of the submission i'm not sure where that shevchenko was though when jennifer maya was able to grind her out for that that second round no idea. But luckily, she was able to turn it on again in rounds three, four, and five, win that fight via decision. Tyler Santos, she's controlled over 52% of her five UFC belts. And what I mean is 33 minutes of control time accrued over those five fights. She's landed 12 takedowns, and she's been able to grind these opponents out. Now, I get it. Jillian Robertson likes to play off her back, thinks she's always going to get a submission, which is why she always ends up losing her fights. 
Roxanne Modafferi, the ghost of Roxanne Modafferi. But what can we say to Tyler Santos to be like, oh, you know, you've only beaten these girls. Well, yeah, I beat these girls. You put them in front of me. I yeah, beat them. I got some stuff I could say. I'll let you get to it. But like, you beat her. That That's all that matters. You, you got the dub. They put them in front of you. You got the win. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah, she's not getting the finishes, right? She only got the finish over Joanne Wood in her last fight, which was impressive, right? Just knocking her out. Beautiful finish. We don't normally see knockouts in women's MMA. If she can impose her strength, if she can impose her wrestling and use that against Valentina, she could be live here. My concern, and you know, I've been going back and forth in terms of putting a half unit on Santos in the spot. My concern is, can she do it for five rounds? And if, you know, we both know this, Mike, grappling is the most grueling part of the MMA game. That is going to wear on your gas tank more than anything in the MMA game. So if she can't do that for 25 minutes, the chances and likelihood of Shevchenko finishing her in rounds four and five go extremely high if Tyler Santos can't maintain that level of productivity early in this fight. So the pick is Shevchenko, without a doubt. I've been, you know, going back and forth, playing ping pong in my head, whether I want to, you know, kiss away 0.5 units that I never want to see again, or actually take the shot on Santos here, as I do think she is the toughest test. At this point in time in that division, she is the toughest test for Valentina Shevchenko. I just don't know if we can even call it a test or a pop quiz. So why, at this point in time. why? Why is she the toughest test? Why? Who else is there that she so hasn't I'm already beaten? Even forget who else isn't there per se, but why her? I mean, like, she's, I just think that people are blowing her up. Like, I, I just can't. Manfred, sometimes things are simplified and we want to make them unsimplified, right? Like, use yeah. a lot of ifs, which is a big two-letter word. Of course. But if she couldn't friggin' finish, I don't know, Meeple on the can and Roxanne, matter of fact, what the hell makes you think she's going to come in and out-kickbox Valentina or, or out-grappler when she only has three submission victories? Like, like so, for, for me, it's not believe that that's going to happen. For me, the 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 result of, of of a fight doesn't play too much into it. It's what she was able to do in that fight. She controlled those fights, and that's the aspect I think she should be able to win in this fight if she gets that win. Like, if she has any success, it will likely become it will come from out muscling and out strengthening. Not official shake on the ground. Go ahead. All right, it's like we almost forgot because we're talking about you know what she's done since champion blah blah but let's rewind the tape to when she went up a weight class and fought amanda yep. nunez twice arguably could have won one if not both of the fights and amanda bigger stronger better I, in my opinion everywhere than taylor santos and now she's going to get santos in her own weight class and i don't want to use it derogatorily but she's like a poor man's version of an amanda nunez and valentina went up and competed with the greatest female fighter of all time. I mean, Amanda's very good on the ground, way better in my opinion than Santos. And Amanda's way better on the feet than Santos. So I just don't see like Santos, even though she's the number one challenger and she did this to Mataferi and lost to Maria Romero Barella, but what would Amanda Nunez do to her? Or what would Shevchenko and, you know, Nunez do to Maro Romero Barella? Like, I mean, I just don't see it. I, I think that I mean, now more I'm talking about it, I'm getting more on Valentina. <laughs> you got to pay the check. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I just don't see how. I mean, somebody said earlier, well, she knocked out Joanna Wood. Well, Joanna Wood is now named Wood, not Calderon, because she's in love and got married. I mean, these little things yeah. that change the trajectory of a fighter. And no. Wood, Wood Calderon is at the end of her career. I mean, the, the, Valentina hasn't slowed down yet, really. I mean, yeah. Lauren Murphy landed 11 strikes in four rounds. That, that's, why, that's why I haven't played the bet on Santos yet. I'm like, do it, should I really do it, right? It's just, 
I feel like where she is strongest at is the only chink in the armor of Valentina that we've seen at this point in time is that getting controlled by somebody from on top. And I think that Santos, that's the only thing she's really shown in her UFC career to this point that me. could potentially beat Valentina. Will me. she? Maybe not. Will she? And again, add in the extra two rounds, something she's never done in the past. That makes it even more murkier in terms of making a legitimate case for Santos. But again, prediction is Valentina. I'm not putting her any in, in any parlays. Maybe if she was closer, minus 250, minus 300, I'd consider at that time. But at minus 600, it's unplayable. As our guy John Annick says, the prohibitive favorite. You know, it's 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 illogical to to parlay her at minus one, minus 600. Uh, if you see a prop that you like inside the distance via decision, that's probably the better way to go about it. But I, I just can't do it myself. The spot that I don't mind actually is the over three and a half. I know that's sitting around minus 160. I don't think Tyler Santos is going to be easier to get out of there as her past couple of opponents have been, right? Lauren Murphy, Catelyn Chikagin, uh, Jessica Andrade. She had, especially I see people talking about the Andrade fight. She was the much bigger fighter in that, right? Let's not forget Jessica Andrade is a 115er. She was able to out overpower her. She was able to outstrength her and she got her to that crucifix and got her out of there. Can she do the same thing here to Tyler Santos? I don't know. And will that happen with those first three and a half hours? too. You know, when I was right. talking earlier about energy, I mean, Santos looked a little shook, too. She put on, like, the fake mean face. Then off yeah, yeah. The the fake. <laughs> I know exactly you know. what you mean about the fake mean face. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. you know, some shit's manufactured and some yeah. real, and it's easy to see the difference between the two. Yeah. Um, and, again, I, I, I just don't see where Santos is going to dominate Shevchenko. You need to dominate Shevchenko in an area. And where you're making the argument over the – oversizing or undersizing in that Andrade fight. But yeah, she took her down seven times. I mean, Shevchenko saw the threat was on the feet, even to the littler fighter, took her down seven times. I mean, she fought Amanda Nunes, like I said. I mean, yeah. she did. And like, let's 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 dissect the fight, right? Because you said there's no time rush today per se. But let, let's really dissect it. Kickboxing only. Who wins the fight between Shevchenko and Santos? Well, Shevchenko wins, but I don't think it's as much of a, a squash match as it has been in her past. In a kickboxing match, she would wipe the floor with her. Uh, interesting. I, I think I I think the power of Santos though could. Not, I'm not again. I'm not saying that she's gonna she's gonna beat her well, outright in that round against Roxanne Mataferi. Man, Preet, there was one fight ago. I mean, like where Sorry? was it? Shouldn't she have knocked out Mataferi? She just, had this monstrous power. But but she she managed to just outgrind her. She decided to use her power. Time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That power. And yeah. where was Modafferi better on the feet or on the ground? You would argue that Modafferi is better on the ground, right? Better on the ground. And she walking forward, you know, boxing style. But I don't know. I just don't see it yet. But it is a huge favorite, so I don't want to disparage yeah. it. But I just don't think that she's on Shevchenko's level. We'll see. We'll we'll see how it goes down. But prediction for both of us, uh, Shevchenko. We do. We are in agreement. So playing minus six hundred is a little bit crazy, though. Correct. Yes, and I haven't. Okay. I can't say that I won't arrive on it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, like I'm talking you into it. Early, so I mean, I mean, maybe I'll find the way. Maybe her, like I don't know, Steve uh, Garcia earlier, right? Like there you go. I don't know what, what does that pay Garcia and Jim probably Trump? like minus one seventy or something like Let's that. Say, hold on, while I have you. If I take Garcia minus one eighty eight, and I think yeah, you'll probably get minus one fifty. Yeah, it's uh, well minus one twenty. See, like I don't what know. really right here on Fandle. Yeah, I mean. I don't Wait, know. What, what, what are the odds on Shevchenko? Minus 680 here and oh, minus wow. 188. Yeah. How, how did you get how how'd you get Madalena from 155 to 120? Minus I mean, 120. Ah. 
No, minus one twenty. Yeah, I don't know. That's actually a good question. Maybe the way part. Uh, maybe I did it on MGM or DraftKings, yeah. where the lines are different because uh, some places have you know Shevchenko over seven hundred, right? Yeah, some over six something. So it depends. Yeah. All right. We've spent far too long on this fight. Let's move on to the next one, which I'm sure we can spend even more time on because it is a great fight. But before we get to the main event, shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have. Shout out to everybody watching this on a replay as well. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Drop a comment as well. Did, did we go too long on Shevchenko and Santos? Does Santos have any shot at all? Did I forget a reasoning as to why Santos should win this fight? Let us know in the comment section below. And then also make sure you guys go follow Mike as well. Make sure Twitter. we bet on Santos and that everybody rocking a night now. There you go. Uh, you guys can follow him at AMA Fight Club on Twitter. The link to his Twitter page is in the description below. He's involved with a bunch of other things. Let's get through this main event first. Then we'll let him plug his stuff so you guys can follow him. Because as you guys can tell, he does his research, man. He does his homework and he knows what the hell he's talking about. All right. Let us get to the main event here. Light heavyweight title on the line. We got Yuri Prohaska as the challenger coming in at minus 195, plus 165, the return on the champion. Old man Glover Teixeira getting it done at 42 years old, looking to defend his belt for the first time. I will kick this one off. Like we've been talking about since the beginning of this podcast, Mike, grappler versus striker. And that's obviously how we're going to be ending it off here. We all know the way to break down this fight. Prohaska needs to find that big finish on the feet. Otherwise, he can be taken down. He can be grinded out. And eventually, he will likely be finished if Glover can continue to have that top success. We've seen Yuri struggle with guys with grapple-heavy game plans in the past and risen. And he's, you know, found his way out of those spots and still managed to knock those guys out. The difference between the Brandon Halseys and the difference between the uh, King Mo Lawals or even Carl Albrechtson that he fought as well on Risen is they don't have the jiu-jitsu of Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira is crushing top pressure. The guy does very good in terms of staying very close to his opponents so they don't really have anywhere to buck out, to shrimp out, to try to get out from under him. And then he does an even better job in terms of transitioning from one position to another. Full guard, half guard side control full mount and then before you know it his neck or his hand is around your neck and you're submitting to a rear naked choke that's glover to share his game he has some power in his hands as well but i would not bet on him wanting to go out there and try to knock out yuri prohaska he's going to be looking to dive on those legs as soon as he can make that happen the one thing that we've seen over and over again during the six fight winning streak he's currently on he always gets rocked but he manages to get his hands around his opponents, drag them to the ground, and then drag them through hell as he did to Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, and even last time to Jan Blachowicz. The spot that I like the most in this fight personally is the under two and a half. I know that's the alternate total right now. The, the widely available one is one and a half. But give me another five minutes as I think within that amount of time, Yuri would have either found the chin of Glover Teixeira or Glover Teixeira would have gotten him down enough, managed to pass to dominant positions and eventually gotten to finish himself. My prediction is going to be Yuri Prohaska, but I just can't play minus 200 on him at this point in time because the only way he's really winning this fight is if he finds that knockout. So you could even just play him by knockout, which is probably the best line that you're going to get on him here. Him to win by knockout currently sits at minus 150. So like, it's not even that big of a difference from the minus 200 you're going to be getting from playing him straight up in this spot. I like... Uh, you know, I, I do think that Prohaska has the dynamic and, and, and striking 
or sorry, power advantages here over the last couple of guys that Glover has fought and beaten, which is why he should be able to find that shit and put him out here. But it's so hard to bang or, or bet a guy at minus 200 for him to just find that bullseye, find that target. We talked about it earlier in this fight. If you have that grappling advantage and you can get the TK on the ground, that's way more assuring than finding that chin on a moving target. And albeit it's a slow moving target with Glover Teixeira with the way he moves. But I think that Prohasco will eventually find that chin and put him out here. I just can't bet it myself. I would rather take the under two and a half. Last time I saw it, it was sitting around minus 190. I want to take that chalk rather than playing the money line here on Prohaska because I do think that Glover is just as live to get the finish. From a betting perspective, the value is all on Glover to share it here. He has way more wins, to, way more ways to win this fight. It's just his lack of speed and diminishing durability, which is eventually going to crack on him. And I think that Prohaska is the guy that can eventually make it crack. So prediction is going to be Prohaska. Favorite bet, though, is violence here, under 2.5. If you don't have uh, access to the alternate totals, I get the fight doesn't go to decision is very chalky at minus 500, minus 600. But I think that's one of the more, you know, that's one of the more surefire spots here. You can throw it in with Steve Garcia, as my guy Mike was saying earlier, and probably get a lot, uh, better line on him. But I do like the under two and a half. Prediction is Prohaska, but my heart is with Glover Teixeira. What about you, Mike? I, I actually, I, I think I agree with everything he said, really. I mean, um, best I could do is expand upon it. I think that the most likely outcome here is... Prosheka, I, I can never say his name. Either. Let's go with Yuri. Let's go with yeah. Yuri. I, I think that the most likely outcome is Yuri by knockout. Like when I first saw this fight, sometimes I just like visualize like what's going to happen. Like I could see like the bell ringing. And I mean, I love Glover and I really do. And even before Glover was in the UFC, I remember like, you know, he was from the Connecticut area and I had multiple fighters. Yeah, man. What I'm saying that well, you don't see this Glover to share a guy. I can't think off the top of my head who it was, but like he trained with like a UFC champion or he was the uh, Chuck Liddell. Was it Chuck Liddell? Yeah, yeah, yeah Liddell. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going way back. You're right. So there it was. He does, so he does Chuck like, Liddell thing. Yeah, like way back then, you know, and I'm so happy he became champion because he's also a really good guy. Oh, he's yeah. a good person. One of my former fighters, Plenio Cruz, is like in his corner and trains with him and, you know, Alex Politan, Pereira. So like yeah. he's embedded with them. And, you know, Glover's 42, right? And, and the dynamics here, obviously, if you put him in a phone booth, I would favor Teixeira, right? Because he can get his hands on him. Um, Teixeira is not really a D1 type offensive wrestler where he's going to come out and explode with power doubles. And Teixeira, uh, Yuri, he's got weird, awkward movements and he's long, fast, and explosive. And it just re rewinds in my mind the, uh, the Alexander Gustafsson fight and like what that oh, yeah. body type was able to do to, you know, Glover. And then if you really look at his losses, even though Corey Anderson took uh, Glover down seven times, but he's still got that wide rangey body. And then he's also been knocked out by Anthony Rumble Johnson, big, powerful, long oh, striker. Right? What a knockout. I'm yeah, not sure if you remember that one, Mike. And, and when I see Teixeira, I see obviously his grappling, top smothering game, good top old school pressure. But I don't see like that in between the wrestling where he's going to be able to catch you know, the Prashaka who's darting around and he has the reach advantage and things are coming out of everywhere. And not to say it won't get to the ground and then it'll be a race to survive for Yuri, right? Versus the clock and how much time is left in the round. But ding, ding, fight starts, five minutes counting down. You know, there's going to be a lot of dancing and moving over here and a lot of wanting to get the fight to the ground. And if that happens at one minute and 15 seconds and he's able to survive, the next round starts, right? And they're back here. So it leads me back to the Yuri side and the more times I played out of my mind, I see Yuri winning via knockout. Teixeira also has poor head movement. He's just there to get hit. 
And I've seen it happen so many times and I could just see Yuri coming out and just like lighting them up, like, well, like, bah, 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 like combos and like hurting them and getting on top and just finishing them. Right. Um, so that's what I see more times than not. To me, there's not enough value in playing the URE by knockout prop. You mentioned 150. I see 125 on FanDuel here in New Jersey. And even at that, I don't think I'd rather lay the 125 and have one path to victory than lay the, you know, even 200 or use it in a parlay, right? Um, but I, I love the fight inside the distance. Hard to lay to 500. I might look at, like, fight to not start third round props or things like that to bring it down. But, you know, Without the line, I love the fight to finish inside the distance. So then if you do like a side, you have to play that fighter to win the double chance inside the distance or in one of those capacities, right, if you can find the value. But I'm on the Yuri side here. I think it's going to be and new. It's going to start a new era. He's a new type of fighter. He lives that, like, Budo lifestyle with the bun yeah. and the, <laughs> the swords. But he's about that life. And, you know, don't let that age sleep on you. You know, 42, 29, young and explosive versus hobbled and hurt. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yuri for me. Uh, I think the Yuri era is going to last as long as the Machida era as Magomed Ankalaev is just treading around the corner right now. And I think that if he gets past Anthony Smith this summer, he will likely fight uh, Prohaska next. And I just There's think a lot of animals. What about that jail tin Almeida? Which oh, like my him? Yeah, well, that guy, that guy apparently said he wants to stay up heavyweight now. That was his last fight. He's so. an animal. Yeah, oh, I'm there's so many exciting fights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm glad that we kind of see it the same way here. For some reason, in my mind, I'm envisioning like uh, Glover Teixeira trying to get the takedown up against the cage and just getting elbowed into oblivion and then eventually getting the finish like that. Like I can absolutely see that type of finish happening. Johnny Walker versus Ryan Spann, that type of finish. Um, but yeah, uh, violence is what both me and Mike are expecting here. And I think that's probably the best way to play this fight um, just so it covers both finishing opportunities as well all right yeah, i want to add one last thing yeah go for it go so for, go sometimes for. I, I bet in unique ways and i tell you i get i get my money in on different things whether it be dfs and whatnot and one thing i like to do like in my opinion i don't think that glover is gonna you know win a decision like I, I don't know he could control him the whole way but i like to sometimes throughout a card tie my open parlays to the main event and then you have a hedging opportunity ah, to come back good point. so if i tie yuri who's pretty favorable for parlay at that 200 that's a nice sweet spot you could put that with the steve garcias and now rather than laying the 188 you could take like 130 140 or whatever it is and just create value throughout the card and either come back at the end and either take your risk off the table and you could play to share a you know plus 180 and just take your risk off and free roll the bet or you could even get cuter maybe play to share by submission plus 350 and keep a lot of the value there on the uh, yuri side so the way that i am probably most likely going to go about this is that all those middle of the road fighters that we talked about, the Choi's, the Garcia's, rather than playing them straight and laying 215 or laying 180, I'm most likely going to tie them to parlays with Yuri and get plus EV out of it and then wind up at the end of the night with like a ticket on Yuri where if he wins the fight, I win X amount of money and then I could just hedge into it and like carve into it and maybe even play like to share a sub in the first round plus like 1800 and maybe only risk like one unit out of my 11 that I have riding or whatever it is or maybe you know like depending on again your risk assessment you might just take all your risk right off the table to start the fight and then crack a beer and enjoy the night and if yuri wins you win x amount of units and if he loses you break even or you hedge to plus one on the other side whatever it is so the way i'm going to use this fight and that's why i said i wanted to end off with this is i don't see a way where he's not going to be in parlays with all those choys and garcias leading into it just to create that plus ev value on those earlier fights 
uh, I love hearing everybody's different approach to gambling and betting, whether it's parlays, DFS, or you know, straight betting, parlay, whatever the hell it is. I love adding that extra wrinkle to my shows, especially for the fans and the viewers as well, who may not be privy to that type of style as well. So I appreciate you dropping that knowledge on them as well. All right, before we wrap up the show, the last thing I like to do is kind of the like the lock of the night play or your most confident play on the card. I'll start it off, then I'll kick it on over to you, to Mike. Um, I'm it's a toss up for me, honestly, between Jake Matthews and uh, the under two and a half in the Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohaska fight. I haven't played the latter yet. I likely will still do that very shortly, but uh, I might be adding to Jake Matthews, which I currently have two units on. I might look to add on to it because I. I've been only gaining confidence throughout the week and I'm just I feel like I don't want to miss out on this opportunity of getting a very, you know, a very solid spot at plus money. I might have to add a couple of more units to it here to make it a locker than I play for myself. Mike, what about you? What, what what's your most confident play here? Yeah, you know, it's a tough card to have like that one that I feel very confident. If you have about. a parlay, if you want a parlay uh, as well, uh, you're welcome uh, to do that. That's that I actually bet already and that I gave on the stay cashing show, like I mentioned, our Madalena minus 155. And then I played Nah by submission plus 215. And I told everybody on the show, if you want to be a little less risk adverse, you could play her plus 115 and have the path of knockout and decision as well. Um you know, it's hard for me to pick something other than those two that say like, hey, they're my favorite fight, you know, bets. But I, I love the main event and inside the distance too. It's just how do you get the value out of it? But I'm going to have to stick to my guns. And if I had to pick one and I had to pick it, it would be the Madalena bet. Uh, is it safe to say that's what you're going to be submitting for the uh, high stakes lock of the night? I don't know. Challenge? It's yeah. funny because I thought of that too coming into it. But um, I have a lot to choose from because there's a bunch of dogs that I like on this card. I think that... Unfortunately, last time I had a bunch of dogs that I liked, and I even tweeted out like the dogs are barking or whatnot, like they went 0 4. So sometimes <laughs> they're dogs for a reason. But like to me, like that Ramona Pasquale at plus 145, yeah. disgusting. But I want to bet it. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. or, nah, plus 115 or plus 215. I want to bet it. Matthews, to your point, is a dog. I want to bet it. Like, there's yeah. just a lot of that on this card. Malcoon plus 240. I don't know. Not Santos, but yeah. <laughs> Definitely not Santos. I mean, why can't yeah. Clover come out and get no? You're right. You're right. And, you know, win and you're like, how the hell did I not bet him as an underdog? Yeah. You know, how many times did that happen? But yeah. I mean, you know, it's not a lock of the night, but my I would have to give you Madalena as my one bet for now. I love it. I love it. I, I even tweeted earlier this week, so maybe it might bite me in the ass. I believe nine out of the 12 fights, or I guess now uh, nine out of the 11 underdogs on the upcoming card are, are live here. Not saying they're going to win, but they're yeah. live. They'll probably cover their price tag and more. So we'll see how that goes down. All right. Uh, on the back end here, Mike, please do plug everything and everywhere people can find you. I know you got plenty that you're involved with. Let the viewers know where they can find you. Sure. Uh, well, for all sports, including MMA, I have a company with uh, my partner, Tommy G. And um, I do the UFC, obviously, but we have best in class for every sport, including NASCAR. We have college baseball going on right now. League of Legends, everything. It's called 4Deep. 4DeepBets.com. It's the number 4. Deep, D-E-E-P, bets.com. And what I do for the UFC is I release what's called my betting blueprint. So I told you I go into it and try to get all my money in, whether it's through betting props, uh, we play monkey knife fight, different types of things. And I wanted to offer it to all the listeners that are here exclusively in here for free um, for tomorrow. So if you go to free UFC bets.com, free UFC bets.com, put in your email, 
Tomorrow, we'll email you my betting blueprint. It's a fight-by-fight -fight breakdown with every single way that I bet and played the card from a betting and DFS perspective. I send it to the subscribers about three hours before the event kicks off. I literally take that much time. I don't bet early in the week. I don't believe in closing line value, and that's you know for another day. But um, I do release the plays late because that's when I actually bet them. Everything in there is what I bet. How I go about it, I write it up, a little blurb on you know my thought process and why. And then for our members, we also do a live show in our Discord where I give a, a deeper breakdown on every fight in our voice chat. So if you want the betting blueprint for free, go to freeufcbets.com, put in your email. And of course, if you want to join, we have specials as low as $17 and you get every single sport access to the Discord, et cetera, at 4dbets.com. And follow yeah. me at AMA Fight Club on Twitter. I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. So hard to do it all. I don't know how you do it. You're on like a thousand shows a week. You're you're creating content, graphics, running contests, creating them, getting married. I, I, I don't know. For me, it's hard to like tweet, bet this, that. For me, for me, Mike, it's never having to go back to a nine to five. That's my motivation. I never want to be. I never want to be sitting back over there. I'm glad that I get to do my passion for a living, and it's all thanks to the viewers, people I provide content for. They're allowing me to do this, so I want to continue to offer them and give them uh, the best betting advice they could possibly get. And then, obviously, introducing them to guys like yourself who can even take it to another level and give them a different perspective as well. So uh, that's how I do it, Mike. That's how I stay active on social media and all that type it. of stuff. Uh, Mike, we, we got to do this more often, man. The, the chat is absolutely eating this up. They love our combination and our, our chemistry. Uh, I love the debates. I love the back and forth. I love the banter. We have great chemistry, like I said. So hopefully we can do this a little bit more often and people will definitely enjoy it. Anytime, brother. Anytime. And, and you're still the only show I've ever done outside of my own company um, other than, you know, MMA Junkie and, you know, a couple times, but like a real breakdown show every fight. So far, you've been my exclusive go-to other hey. than our our members. So. I might have to sign you to my Always channel. Always a pleasure, brother. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, appreciate everybody that checked out on the show live or on the replay. Least I ask you guys to do is just hit that like and subscribe below. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, drop a review over there as well. Make sure you guys follow my guy Mike on everything that he just plugged, not to mention his Twitter page, which again is linked in the description below. You guys just got to click that and then click follow and uh, hopefully we'll get some more tweets out of Mike and that will, uh, you know, goad him into actually tweeting more as his uh, follower account starts to go up. Uh, again, Mike, appreciate the time. Appreciate the analysis. Uh, we're closing up on two hours here, but uh, for a big pay-per-view card, I'm very happy that we're able to get this in depth about it, and hopefully we can get some green into the pockets of the viewers and listeners. Uh, good luck to everybody, and on the way out, I usually like to say war a certain fighter, and it seems like I, I, I gotta go with this one, Mike. War Jake Matthews. Let's go. Let's, go let's get that recency bias narrative out of here. Let's get Jake Matthews back on the w column and i think he does it in a big way hopefully he locks up that plus 900 via submission for us as well appreciate everybody good luck in your best run and i'll see you guys tomorrow 1 p.m eastern for the fight day live chat taking all last questions comments and concerns peace out guys